Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome in and good morning. It is a Tuesday here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. That is Andrew Rogers. What's going on? Oh, not too much. Just getting going, trying to, you know, I had, had a little bit of a hard time waking up this morning. You know, I did too, and I don't know if it was because I was still in Utopia after hitting a hole-in-one in Top Golf yesterday, Ravi, okay, or so- if it was just because I was tired. Yeah, I, I think mine was a little bit of cold medicine, if I'm being honest. Oh, I can kind of tell yeah, that you're a little, little stuffed. A little, a little nasally, you know? Yeah, you know what? I um, mostly feel okay, but... Uh, I had that like a week and a half, two mm-hmm. weeks ago. I mean, once the weather changes, it's it about just, that time of year. It's all, it goes downhill, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah I, you know what saved me? What's that? Flonase. Mm. you got to get on the Flonase. I've been rocking the Dayquil. See, I've never been a Dayquil, Nyquil guy. Yeah. It's always been the Claritin Flonase treatment. I usually, I'll usually do uh, allergies up to this point, but then I get a certain point where I was like, all right, I got to switch over to Dayquil. So, you know, I'm at that point. I'm at the Dayquil point of the winter. Yeah, that's um, it, it, <clears throat> it happens, fall, right? I suppose. Yeah. But, Weather uh, changes. So let's. Uh, I want to hear about this Top Golf League <laughs> because no, I, I'm serious because. So I excited to see our players after the bye week. So I'm sure you guys have lots of questions. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm maybe, sure you do have a lot of questions. I'm sure maybe they got some some golf in on the bye week here. But so, how does this work? Because I've never been in. A, mm-hmm. I've actually never even been to a Top Golf. So really, yes. There's one like I could like throw a rock and hit it from my house. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's the only Top Golf here in town. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> it's not quite true. I could see it from my house. I so you live close to the mall. Uh, yeah, ish. Yeah. Okay. Um, a couple miles away, but like, cause the nets are so tall. Yeah, can, yeah. Um, but so I've never actually been, I've wanted to go the few times that I've looked at going, you know, they've got their little app and it's like, uh-huh. tells you the wait time. Mm-hmm. And it was like two plus hour wait. And I was like, yep. That's not, how it always is. Not going today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been, I've wanted to go. I've heard it's a lot of fun, but I didn't mm-hmm. know they have leagues. How does that work? Is it like, do you play holes? So we play the games that they offer. Okay, sure, sure, sure. So there, there are a bunch of different games. Uh, last night's game was Top Golf Contender, which is you hit four into the red, which mm-hmm. is the shortest one to you. Okay. Uh, that's about maybe 
maybe like 15, 20 yards away. Okay. Maybe. Uh, yellow is about 50 yards, 60 max away. Okay. So you go red, yellow, green, brown, blue, white. And that's how, like, the, to- the holes are laid out. And it gradually gets further and further. Okay. Um, the more points for the ones that are further away. When it's that when, when it's, it's the that time term, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And then we did uh, a quick nine, which is red, yellow, green. You just hit nine balls, three into the red, three into the yellow, three into the green. Okay. And, um, you know, it's really fun because you just play, like I said, the ones that are already in their system. Mm-hmm. But what I love most about it is, yes, a couple of things that you already said. One, there's no wait time because you show up every Monday and yeah, you play from seven to play, nine, so right? Yeah, that's nice. Like, it, it, it's, it's already out there. It's like and pre-reserved two, for you. Right, and yeah. two, the amount of money that we pay each to be in this league, because it's a team of six, yeah. the amount of money that we each pay is significantly less than a, like a, normal. Than a normal outing. Okay. Because we play, we'll call it nine weeks. Sure. Not really sure if it's nine, maybe eight. Yeah. We play eight or nine weeks, we pay $110 each. Oh, that's not bad at all. No, because when yeah. you break down the math... So was it like it, 15 bucks yeah, a week? Yeah, it's like 20 bucks a week, yeah, not max. Bad. Not bad at all. You know how much it costs to like reserve a bay for an hour? Oh, yeah. It, it's it, at least 40 bucks. Yeah, it's it's it can be it can be it's I mean right. double at least. So we right. and we get an hour of practice time. So we're there from 6 to 9. Oh, so you get 3 hours. Now for, they make it back on food and drink sure, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, but still but you don't always have to do that. Yeah. Like last if night, you didn't want to. Last night I was like, I'll have a beer. Like yeah. I, I don't normally get a beer. It, first off, it's expensive as all heck to get beer there. <laughs> uh, like I think my mango cart was seven fifty. I do love a mango cart, and though. it was fantastic. Oh man, I've had the I had over the first time like this summer, and I I'm kind mm-hmm. of obsessed with it mm-hmm. now. I love mango, and cart. it's really light. It's a really light yeah, beer. It's an easy drinker, which is like my primo. And then I got mac and cheese bites, and those were like thirteen dollars. Yeah. Okay, so like you're spending. So it's like concessions. They make it back on food. Right. Uh, So normally I don't eat there. I go somewhere else afterward or or I'll eat at home before I go. And, uh, yeah, but just all in all, it's just a really fun fun opportunity to literally golf whenever you don't want to just be on the course. Yeah, and that's – Get your swings in. I mean, so that's kind of the appeal to me, right, because part of the reason – I haven't golfed much in the last several years is just the time commitment, right? Mm-hmm. Is there's yeah, you got to get to play for about 4 hours. Yeah, if you're playing 18, like that's a that's a pretty good chunk of your day there, especially if you're going at all early to hit on the dr- the range, mm-hmm. especially if you're, you know, having a drink afterward with your friends. I mean, that could pretty easily turn into a 6-7 hour day, especially if you're not golfing somewhere super close to you, you know? Because I used to go, not super far, but I would go out to, like, Blair or Fremont or Ashland or whatever. That's another half hour each way. And so the, the, that's why the idea of top golf has been so appealing to me. So I need to – and they, they heat the bays, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, there's like, heaters above. So it can be pretty can, cold out and, and still be yeah, reasonably so, comfortable. You know, ah, gosh, this would have been, like, three, four years ago. No, it was probably longer than that. Gosh, time just flies. That's lost fun, me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was at Top Golf for New Year's Eve. Oh, okay. And it was snowing. It was like a blizzard outside. I feel like that actually be really cool. Dude, it was so cool. But yeah. every time you hit the ball, you had no idea. Where yeah, it went. right. You're just like it, it looks cool as hell, but I have no idea where that. But ball now, what Top Golf has are trackers. They've got tracers. They, they, they have simulators now. Oh, that's it's nice. like simulator tracers. Yeah. And you can see exactly where the ball goes. It, 
they've really stepped up their game. Nice. Like, at first, I was like, eh, top golf. Like, I'm not really into it anymore because it's it was just recycled. Yeah. It's the same thing over and over. But you go back, the- you play the same thing. You go back, you play the same thing. Now they have like an Angry Birds setting. <laughs> they have closest to the pin that yeah. you can play. They have all like the league stuff too. Um, but then I was just reading because I'm like, man. I was kind of upset. Like, I got a hole-in-one. At least I think it was a hole-in-one. We all did because it was like a 120-point shot, mm-hmm. which only would make sense if you hit yeah, in the think, hole. I like, think that's right, yeah. And so I'm like, why, why aren't people celebrating this? Like, where are the fireworks? <laughs> uh, and, not that, and not just the fireworks, but, like, where's my prize? You know how hard that is well, to do? it's like when you get to, uh, I don't know, if you ever go, like, bowling. They've got, like, special prizes. Right. If you get, like, two strikes in a row or whatever, and that's – I mean, your thing is probably way more rare than that. Oh, 100%. What? So I started looking it up. And there are, like, places, I don't think in Omaha, but outside of Omaha, where they do award hole-in-one yeah. prizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they offer those things. And I'm like, okay, guys. Like, I know I was, like, getting on you because you didn't really have updated games or anything. Now it's time to, like, up, upgrade. Shane, what are you doing over there, man? I hear those keys jingling and jangling. Fixing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, now it's time Playing to... Playing handyman. Yeah, good for you, man. Yep. Now it's time Call to... Call me Tim the Tool Man. <laughs> <laughs> you really strike me more as a Wilson. I can never see more than the top Wilson. of your head out that window there. About like that? Yep, mm-hmm. right there. Yep. <laughs> anyway, now it's time to reward us here in Omaha for hole-in-ones. Okay, so I have seen... Like, look at this hole-in-one prize. That's a, oh, that's, like a, that's terrific. I don't know where that's at. I don't know. But you get some golf clubs. That's there was awesome. a Top Golf. Oh, it's Top Golf Thailand. That's in Thailand. Mm, so Thailand, they've got some different rules mm-hmm. than here in Omaha. You know how much money it is to go to Thailand? Too much for me. <laughs> well, yeah, but you get some free clubs if you hit a hole one. I don't think I'm going to risk that. Worth it. Uh, <laughs> so I've seen. There's this. Uh, there's this Top Golf concept for baseball that they started in like Texas, and so they. They've got this little, it looks like one of those kind of little kid, like, pop-up machines where the ball sure. like, comes out of the yeah. ground, mm-hmm. but it's with, like, real baseballs instead of wiffle balls or whatever, and then you um, you hit the you yeah. hit the ball. Like and soft then, toss. Yeah, it's like soft toss. So you hit the ball, and then it, it, it has one of those, like, tracer projector screens. I don't know if you've seen those oh, on, like, TikTok sweet. or anything. I actually, I called them and was like trying to see if I could franchise it here because I was like, that would be incredible if you got one of those down by the College World Series. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they're not franchising right now. So I was like, I'm trying to figure out how to get this tech, like figure out this technology so I can do it myself. Is it called Home Run Dugout? Uh, maybe. Yeah. It just, if you just Google Top Golf for baseball, you'll find it. Oh, so it's, it's like a simulator. Yeah, it's a simulator. Yeah, okay, yeah. so it's not like Top Golf. No, but it's, it's, it's more like the tracer sim- technology. Yeah, 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 sure. It's more like a Beyond Golf. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's for baseball. The ball pops up. You hit it. It like shows where you go. Dude. And it kind of gamifies it the same way Top Golf does. You would, you would You'd make, make a killing. You know how much the Blatt makes oh, I know. for the College World Series? Like They only have to be open two weekends and the how, full week out of the year, or full two weeks out yeah. of the year. And they make enough money back. Same thing with, like, Rocco's and all those places yeah, down there. Yeah. yeah. They make enough money back so that they don't have to be in business any more than those two yeah, weeks. Right? And so I was, and those, those places serve, like, alcohol and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I was like, man, I need to figure out a way to start one of these. I actually contacted them, but they're not franchising right now. Not in Omaha, at least. 
I think they're why? staying in Texas right now. Why wouldn't you just jump all over the opportunity to, to Dude, hear I somebody know. out? I would. And be like, hey, guys, college base. This is like, remember Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Titanic? Yeah. yeah. He played here. I mean, everybody plays Everybody here. wanted to be him. Everybody plays here, right? If you can get one of those things down by, uh, down by the Charles Schwab Field, the mm-hmm. Chuck. Oh, man. It'd be incredible. Man, that's a good call. Uh, what else would you franchise? What, is, is there like a business? Uh, out, take, away the, yeah. take away the home run dugout. Take away whatever top golf we were talking about. If there was something you could franchise here in town, what would it be? Well, so there's like two different ideas to this, right? It's like what thing would make you the money the easiest? Mm-hmm. And what would you have the most fun doing? Uh, if I was just trying to make money, I'd probably franchise like a Chick-fil-A. Those places like print money. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, you are probably 131,000 <laughs> in line. I know, right? <laughs> but they, those things, every, there's, every time I drive by one, they're, they're busy. They are, I, I think, pretty reasonable to start up in terms of cost. And you get a lot of corporate help in terms of... Are they reasonable to start up? I mean... In the grand scheme of franchises, like, it's still expensive. But I thought it was like, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be way off. I, like, I thought it was like a million dollars that oh. you had to have, like, on retainer I, just in case. Let me check here. Like, the startup may have been small, like the, the fee to pay, like, $100,000 or whatever. Yeah. But I think you had to have at least, like, a million in the bank. Like assets? Yeah. Uh, so this, this one, I think it depends on location. Because it says somewhere between. Okay, so the franchise fee is only ten thousand. Okay, but it costs in order to like buy the land, build the building, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff between three fifty and two million, depending on where you're at. Okay, so like high real estate value areas, you're going to be closer to the two million. I guess I'm building mine in Bora Bora. Uh, I think you're building yours in like San Francisco. <laughs> with that, I don't want to be in with San that Francisco. two million or New York, one of those <laughs> like, uh, but like three fifty, you're probably t- you're probably closer to the three fifty end in Omaha. So, but the ten thousand is the startup fee. Usually, the other costs you can get on like a business loan or something if you've got mm-hmm. assets to show it there or a business model. So, got it. So, uh, yours would be a Chick Fil A. Uh, if I was just trying to make money, if I was just trying to have a good time, like having fun, I really, I've always wanted to own a gym, like a franchise, okay. like a Gold's Gym or a, a yeah, Lifetime you, Fitness you and or my something fiance like that. Both. You guys Man, can go into business together. I was, I was, I, and I don't think people know this much about me now, but I was such a meathead for so long. Like, up until about two years ago. Yeah, there was literal pork in your head. <laughs> yeah, there was. It was just rattling around in there. <laughs> just got some spare ribs in there. <laughs> but a little I, bit of barbecue. Yeah, I, I it's coming out of my ears a little bit. No, um, I, I've always wanted to own a gym, so that would be cool to franchise, like, a, a big-time gym. Do we have, like, pretzel places here in town? Like, soft yeah, like pretzel Annie, places? Yeah, Annie Ann's, I think. Yeah, well, Annie Ann's is at the mall. Like, yeah, but it, yeah, that's yeah. the only one I can think of that I've seen around here. So would you be, like, Ben Stiller in Dodgeball? No, not quite. Although I would love to put together like a dodgeball team. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, that would be fun. You could do all sorts of stuff like that. I would enter into like all sorts of weird, stupid competitions and stuff. It'd be super fun. But yeah, I don't know that there's many pretzel yeah, places. An- Annie Ann's popped up. So I always wanted to open up like a pretzel, just like kind of like a pretzel joint. Yeah. Where like you had, you know, big soft pretzels. You can do like pretzel dogs, things like that, because. Every time the Super Bowl rolls around, I'm looking for a good pretzel, like to have, like to bring to like your party sampler, right? Yeah. yeah. And nobody, Hard to find. yeah, nobody has it. I and think, if you call any ants, it has to be like way in advance. Yeah, I think you can if you're willing to like heat them up. I think you can get them at Costco. 
Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah see, did. I would love because St. Louis was a, a place that has like tons of them. Like big, Gus, Gus's Pretzels is like a, a really like popular a big pretzel place. Yeah, it, like it. I mean, I talk about emos a lot, <laughs> okay, but like yeah. Gus's Pretzels is like the emos to St. Louis for pretzels. Okay, right? emos or, is the pizza, yeah, right? Like Anheuser Busch is the beer of St. Louis. Yeah. Like Gus's Pretzels is the pretzels of okay. St. Louis. Now there's other pretzel joints sure. around, but like. I thought about that when I lived in Sioux City. They had nothing. They didn't even have a Canes in Sioux City. Mm, yeah. I thought that's yeah. like if I could franchise anything, it'd be a Canes, Canes like right by the casino mm -hmm. because that's right on the strip of bars too when like, yeah, yeah. you know, the college scene or, or whoever get gets out, out and yeah. they're like, oh, my gosh, let's go to Canes. Like I feel like you could make a ton of money doing that. So I guess Canes in Sioux City, I'd probably do a pretzel place though. I don't know why. You know, I'm always into cooking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know if I have, like, I definitely don't have the skill set to be, like, a master chef. Right. So, you know, I probably could figure out how to bake a pretzel. I think so. The, I feel like the franchise cooking is a little bit easier than gourmet mm -hmm. cooking. Well, right? and I love watching those videos of them, like, Where they, like, tie the, the pretzels. And, but they, like, flip it once, like a jump done. rope, yeah, and it's, it's done. done. Yeah, it's incredible. It looks like a David Blaine trick. I don't know how they do yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. Shane, what would you franchise? I don't know. It's probably already been franchised. Well, like everything's are all the things we're talking about have been franchised already, Shane. I mean, I would, I would try, I would try to, I would try to uh, maybe do a a golf type of store, a golf store, like an Ostad's. How would you be different though? Yeah, I don't know if you could necessarily be different, but I mean, has that actually maxed out in the market? Even though there's like, you know, a hundred golf courses and there's already like three or four of them, I don't know. You know, I so mean, you're is saying there, you see a market there, inefficiency is, between the number of golf courses and the number of golf shops. Is is there is there is there a possibility of doing that in Lincoln? Is there a golf store in Lincoln? I don't know. I don't shop in Lincoln often. Like usually, I'm like I'm going there. It doesn't ever pop up on the Google, but you, you know, know what I mean. Like I'm usually going there for. Okay, all right, Shane, I, I'm with you. Golf store. Yeah. All right. What I would you call it, Shane? <sighs> Shane's World. <laughs> no, can't steal my name. I was going to say. I already air patented that name. Andrew's already got that on uh, LLC. He's yeah, got a trademark. That, that's my pretzel shop. Hey, when you walk in, you'd hear a lot of excellent. Excellent. Shane's World. Game yeah. on. Game on, bro. Game on. That, that would be sweet. Would that just not be Party awesome? <laughs> I didn't realize you were that into golf, Shane. Like I didn't. Know he, he actually is a big golf fan. There yeah. You go. All right. Yeah, he used to play a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. In high school, yeah. I mean, I was on the varsity team in high school, so. He was on the varsity team. Shane hey. varsity golfer. Hey, I, tried off. To, I tried to be on the varsity football team, but people wouldn't have it. They Didn't said you I play just, football, too? Yeah. That's pretty sweet. I that, would love to see Shane in pads. I, that would be incredible. Shane, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be mean here, so you don't have to answer if you don't want to. All right. How you were you this size in high school, too? <laughs> Or, like, were you smaller? Like, were you really small in high school? No, it was probably this size. Okay. I don't know, because, you know, some people, like, get. <laughs> what do you think he just, he just sprouted after well, high school and he got three inches? I don't know. Some I've known some people that, like, were. I, I, I probably weighed five pounds less. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> No, I've known some people that, like. I mean, were, you know, I put on that heavy weight, you know. <laughs> you changed weight classes. You went yeah. from. From Bantam to Feather? I went feather. from 103 to 112. Ooh, hey, Shane, whoa, I'm not, Shane, I'm not trying to t sound mean here, but I'm going to actually sound mean by asking <laughs> you this. You should have just asked. <laughs> I was trying to By make saying sure that, like, you, you're not, it's worse. not a get-out-of-jail-free card. With all due respect. <laughs> 
Shane's like, just say it. You right, can't Shane? just say with all due respect and have mm-hmm. say, say whatever you want. No, that's what that means. Uh, no, I was just curious because some people like kind of they grow early and then they just stay the same size for a long time. Like I've been five nine since like sixth grade. Like I've been the same. You probably height. had a full beard in sixth grade. Uh, I did start shaving in sixth grade. Yeah, it wasn't quite like this, but I did have to start shaving. In I had sixth a buddy. Grade. Um, his family super Italian. Yeah, super, and. By sixth grade, he was also shaving, and yeah. I'm like, "This is you're crazy." Man. I got a razor for my twelfth birthday. I don't even remember my first hair. That's a real thing. <laughs> I got I, for my twelfth birthday. I got a razor. I remember getting razors in the mail from like Gillette I was like, when I turned eighteen. I was like, "This is not a good gift, mom." I'm just gonna be <laughs> honest with you. I'm twelve. I wanted a baseball glove. <laughs> <laughs> And now you want to open a baseball shop. That's true. It's because I'm traumatized. Home run dugout. (laughs) We'll call it something else. I don't know what. Hey, you can call it whatever. Lula's long ball. I don't know. Mm. We'll see what happens. See what happens. Already, I can tell you've already been thinking about this. I haven't thought about it a lot at all or anything. I haven't like looked into the technology and priced out tracers and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure it's really inexpensive. Oh, no. It's a pretty penny. That's why I don't have one yet. We'll figure it out. I might have to sell some assets in order to do that, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. You I'll know. sell your assets too. Uh, I don't. I don't think you know. Maybe you could come in and be a silent partner. <laughs> say less. <laughs> yes, say less. That's what <laughs> silent means. <laughs> uh, coming up on the show today, we will probably talk less about franchises, but I can't promise that. Well, who knows? Because we could be talking about Major League Baseball franchises. We could sure. be talking about football franchises. Probably less about franchising places uh-huh. and more about true. sports franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk to. Mike Gross, he covers Penn State up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Big football game this week for them. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, that's going to be enormous. The best game probably in the country this I'm week. I'm curious to know if Ohio State is healthy. Ooh, that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, we've got Mike Schaefer at 9 o'clock. Mm. Husker 24-7. Love talking to Schaefer as always. Mikey Mike. And Louis Vicaire of Northwestern, he's at the Wildcat Report. Going to start giving us a little preview on the Wildcats. I feel like we've talked to Louis. A million times. A million times. Now, Pat Fitzgerald didn't help that. No, he certainly didn't. I feel like we just talk and talk and talk to Louie, but he's so great. We bring him back. Well, I feel like every other other week we've been talking to Louie because Northwestern's always in the news for something, and usually it's not football. (laughs) Well, now they're 500. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Listen, they are are dramatically better than I thought they were going to be this year. I thought this was like a Mm 1-11 team. Because yeah. they were a one and eleven team last year, and their coach got mm-hmm. fired. And they right had a lot the of movement season. on the roster. Yeah, um, I, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be a disaster. So I, you have mm-hmm. to give them a lot of credit mm-hmm. with uh, Coach Braun, uh, who came in from North Dakota State and got kind of thrust into this position. That he, I mean, he got there as a defensive coordinator like a month before he took. <laughs> <laughs> the well, head coaching job. You can probably expect he'll keep that head coaching job for a little while so. now that yeah. he's already gotten three wins. Yeah. I mean, wildly outperformed expectations, mm-hmm. which were nothing. I mean, the expectations were zero. Um, and yeah, nobody expected them to win a game. No. After sp- everything that happened. I thought they were going to be bad anyway. Like, even with Pat Fitzgerald. After all that happened, like I said, I was if they won a game this year, I was going to be surprised. Now they're still not a good football. No, team, I mean they they had, it took them twenty three twenty to beat Howard before their bye week. Uh, like they're not good, right? Mm-hmm. Howard is a was two and three at the time. Like they're not good, right? But they're dramatically better than 
total disaster, which is what I think everybody expected them to be. So Now, when you play a good defense, though, like Nebraska, like Penn State. It can look really ugly. That's why the line is as big as it is. Yeah, it, like, it People can... may look at this line and be like, hey, guys, Nebraska's 3-3, three and three too. It should not be 12. Well, playing good defenses yeah. is very difficult for Northwestern. Yeah, I mean, Northwestern doesn't have a lot of firepower when they're playing bad defenses, so – it's, uh, it's kind of the thing we talked about with mm-hmm. Iowa yesterday where – In Oklahoma State. It doesn't matter how bad the defense is. If you're not competent on offense, it, you're not getting anywhere still. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where Northwestern mm-hmm. is, is kind of in the not really competent on offense deal. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. But I'm excited to talk to Louie again uh, <laughs> at, for probably – it feels like the 10th time since August. But we appreciate all the time he always gives us. That's the show. You can, that's, and then ask me anything, right? Yeah, we've got Heard At Sports – AMA. Andrew's got questions for me. I got questions for Andrew. If you've got questions for us, give us a call at the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline, 888-638-4876. We'll continue the show coming up next on Herd Out Sports Radio. You're listening to Herd At Sports Radio. Big week for us, huge week for us, playing an excellent Northwestern team, 3-3. Three and three. Um, Unbelievable comeback win over Minnesota. Down, I think it was 31-10. Um, um, coach, uh, Coach Braun's doing a fantastic job. So it'll be a heck of a ball game. Excited, excited to have a chance to play them. Excited for this week. Excited to see our players after the bye week. So I'm sure you guys have lots of questions. Welcome back, Heard at Sports Radio. Here on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers in with me as well. We're just over here furiously Googling NBA assistant coach salaries. Uh, <laughs> Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, because well, because I asked you during the break, I said, would you yeah. leave an assistant job in the NBA to go be a head coach in the WNBA? Because we saw Nate Tibbetts do that yesterday. Yeah, to become the highest paid coach in the WNBA, which we – our crack research team, which is me and Andrew Googling during the break. No, is, it's not. We have, a, we have a full team. <laughs> We've got, like, the Pat McAfee team over there. We've got 18 guys that talk once a show just Googling things. At least our time. camera angles don't just switch <laughs> abruptly. And you we get guys just, just staring at the camera while other people are talking. We don't just have an A.J. Hawk fathead for <laughs> half the show not saying a word. Uh, I don't know why that bothers me so much. I just don't understand it. It's like only cut to him when he's talking. What's happening here? Because most of the time it's just him sitting there like this. It's like, okay, AJ. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, they're but just seeing if he's still paying attention. Apparently, apparently with uh, McAfee, he's making a buck to do it. So whatever. That's mm-hmm. cool. Um, 
No, so yeah, so Nate Tibbetts left a uh, assistant job in the NBA to be the highest paid coach in the WNBA. So uh, upon some quick googling, that's going to put him over a million dollars for the WNBA job uh, in Phoenix because currently Becky Hammond is the highest paid WNBA coach at right around a million. Um, so if he's eclipsing that, obviously he's going to be into that seven figures as well. Um, and then NBA coaches can make it, it from brief googling depending on if you're kind of the guy behind the bench or a lead assistant, anywhere from about 100000 to a $1 million. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing it's a pay raise for him. Otherwise, he probably doesn't You'd have to guess it. because Orlando's not a great team. They're not a great team. They're not really famous for spending a ton of money so on he's probably franchise. on the low end of so uh, that contract. Even if he's uh, – and he's, a, he's Maybe a, he makes 300 k Let's just say yeah, that. I was going to say five. Okay, uh, 500 k But he's at least doubling his salary, right? So that's not nothing, mm-hmm. right? Um you know, even when you're talking about no, those numbers, people are really quick to be like, oh, well, if I had $500,000, I'd be fine with whatever. It's like, yeah, but if somebody offered you a million, you'd probably take it, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if I – it depends on the job, right? Sure. But, like, with Matt Ishby as your owner right, down in Phoenix, I mean, that's pretty tempting. He's a, he's a pretty capable guy, it seems like. He's obviously willing to spend money. He made the, the Kevin Durant deal happen basically as soon as he – came over and took over the team. He made the Bradley Beal deal happen uh, as well. Like, that's a, that dude's a mover and shaker. Whatever you need, you're probably going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be fair, a lot of these guys, it, it's kind of a weird position, right? Because we assume, hey, the NBA is their dream. And that might be true. But for a lot of them, being a head coach is their dream. It's not necessarily about the NBA or, you know, college basketball or whatever it is. Their dream is to be a head coach and to run a franchise. And so – it really depends on where your priorities are in terms of your coaching career, right? Well, one of my best friends growing up, well, I'd rather in college and beyond, uh, his, his dream is coaching girls basketball at the high school level. Sure. Like he wants to be a head coach yeah. for girls basketball, though. I have a buddy because that does that feels, here in the state of Nebraska. He feels that girls respond better to um, like, like the training, sure. that, at least the way that he coaches his coaching style versus guys sure and so that's why he likes coaching girls over guys so that's that may be another thing sure. too just the dynamic um, of the, the personally even if i was offered a million dollars and i was making 500k with the magic i wouldn't leave i wouldn't leave the nba and that's just because of what we talked about was it earlier this week i think it was last week like how many people knew the wnba finals were happening yeah there's a there's a um uh a I don't know if a PR is the right word, but there's a publicity problem a lot of times with the WNBA. Their finals are going on right in the middle of baseball playoffs, right in the middle of the NFL season, right as the NBA is about to start, right as college basketball is about to start. Like, it kind of gets lost. They used to, I think, and I think the season got pushed back. I could be wrong here. But it used to be the finals were, like, in Mm -hmm. August, and that made more sense, right? Right. You're in Major League Baseball regular season. You don't have college football yet. You don't have pro football yet. You don't get lost in the shuffle as much. And that's a way more advantageous time frame for them to be uh, to, to have their finals so they get more eyeballs on it, right? I would much rather have the prowess of being in the NBA. Yeah. Being a coach in the NBA versus being the head coach in the WNBA. I w- I'll be honest. I would have a hard time if, we're, if, we're, if our numbers are accurate, and let's just say for our hypothetical they are, I'd have a hard time not going for, the, for doubling my salary to over a million dollars, at least doubling. We don't know mm-hmm. what his number is, right? Mm-hmm. Like he could be – if they give him a million five, he might be tripling his salary. That's pretty hard to say no to. I'm sure it is. Especially for 
largely the same job, right? I get there's more responsibilities to head coach versus assistant coach and stuff like that, but it's also a shorter season. They don't they don't play as many games as the NBA is true. to do in the NBA. That is true. So it's probably a little less taxing in that sense, even though you are in charge. Um, it, man, that'd be really hard for me to say. No I to. just wouldn't want to be mad every day. And because I, here's here's why I say that. I wouldn't want to be mad that this team isn't getting the support that, they, that I think they that deserve. That they deserve, yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's, that's totally that's fair. That's what I don't want. Be, so I'm not going to put myself in a position to be mad where I'm just going to be mad yeah. because all I'm going to be doing is talking to the media and being like, why, why isn't this yeah. city showing support for X team and Y team? It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to put myself in a position to where I'm going to be happy with you know, what's already sure. established and with the prowess of that league. Although, to be fair, at Orlando, do you run into some of the same problems of not getting a ton of the attention? Maybe, but, you know, when you talk about the NBA, sure. people know what, yeah. like, everything and anything about the NBA. Even those that say, I hate the NBA. <laughs> they know, you can tell yeah. you, you can say a few things about the NBA and can probably guess who the fi- top five players in the league are right now, sure. who the best coach in the NBA is right now. You can name that. Yeah. You can, I could... To be honest with you, I don't know if I could name three WNBA players. I could, but it, you know, it's obviously a lot harder for me, you know, than it is for the NBA. Part of that's because I'm an NBA nerd, right? But um, I, and I definitely understand your point. I, I honestly, I would have a hard time turning on the money if I'm being totally honest. Like that's a lot. And I a, just don't want to do the job for money, yeah. right? I'd rather do the job because I love everything I'm doing each and every day. Yeah, and I don't want to be mad. I'm totally, <laughs> okay, I'm totally I, okay doing the job for money. <laughs> Which is fine. <laughs> you know, everybody has their price, right? Yeah. It, it, and, and whatever, and I imagine, whatever, has, whatever is pulling you in a certain direction. And I imagine Nate Tibbetts is, is kind of the same way, right? Like he probably. But you brought up a great point about wanting to be a head coach. Yeah. Because I'm with you there. There's, there a, there's a dream yeah. just to be a head coach. Yeah. And whether you get there through the NBA, which is very difficult. Really hard to do. Very, college, very difficult. the WNBA. Right. And this is kind of a trend you've started to see more of is the WNBA poaching uh, assistance from the NBA that maybe aren't on that fast track because you kind of get these guys that are they become the darlings of the league like Nick Nurse was a really popular mm-hmm. one a few years ago before he went to Toronto he kind of became this this darling of the league and you knew he was going to end up being uh, a head coach someday Tyron Lue was the same way before he got his head first head coaching job where these the league becomes enamored with certain guys and it feels like if you get past a per- certain point in your uh, assistant coaching career, you kind of almost miss your shot, like mm-hmm. to become the darling of the league and to elevate yourself. Like you don't have a lot of, it seems like you don't have a lot of grinders as assistants that end up being head coaches in the NBA anymore. And that used to be more of the, so maybe he just read the tea leaves and he's like, hey, it's not going to happen for me here. I want to be a head coach. Also, I'm going to make a ton more money. Like, why not? You know, Phoenix isn't a bad place to live either. Oh, absolutely. Right. And like we said, you got pretty good owner. We think, you know, he's, he's pretty new at this still, but seems like he's got willing. a lot of money. He's willing to invest. Yeah. He's willing to give you the resources, which is about all you can ask from your owner most of the time. And, um, okay. So question for you. And yeah. I know is it, put money aside. Sure. N- like imagine you're making the same. Yeah. The dollars same to dollars the same. Would you rather be a head coach in the WNBA or a head coach of a G league team? Oh, WNBA. G League is so hard because your goals are different. Like, G League is so many teams don't care about their G League team winning, and that would be really hard for me because it's all about development and getting guys down. It's the same thing we see mm-hmm. in AAA mm-hmm. with baseball, right? We've talked to Marty Cordero a bunch. Like, Mike Jersley has a really tough job because his roster is never the same. He's got sure. guys coming and going, especially with the – But winning of- a PCL championship is pretty fun. It is super cool, right? But it's a really hard job, and it's way different – 
than like a normal. Depends if you like development. Like, yeah. Because that's like college football, right? right. Like, well, it, it, with college football, the, the goal is still to win, though, right? Like more. Sure. Like but, the uh, primary, but what I'm saying is with the development aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, but the primary goal in the G League isn't to win. It's to develop. And so it's you totally flip. It's almost going like to youth coaching almost where the wins shouldn't matter. And in the G League, they put their money behind it. The wins don't matter. They're literally just trying to make their franchise better. That'd be really hard for me. You know what we need to do? What's that? We need to call my buddy who just got the job with the Maine Celtics. There we go. We'll, we'll call him and we'll ask him. Listen, I'm, hey man. Sh- I'm sure it's a great job, but it's tough. I, but I don't, I, I don't want to say it's all about development. Like, I bet, I bet there are other objectives there. Internally, yes, but from the top, it's about development. Well, development, of course, yes. is, is your – it's the main piece of the umbrella, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But all in all, I'd be cool with coaching up some <laughs> NBA players to get them to the next level. Coming up next, we'll wrap up hour number one here on Herd at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. I love Husker fans. Let me say that. Okay, I'm talking about the team. You know, like like the only reason why we have the opportunities we have is because there's so much care about the program. Um, I just have to make sure our players don't act like fans. They act like the guys that are going to go out and play. And so, if you're not careful, you know, like like then all these things start to infiltrate the team. And so. Um, I go back and I just look at history. Okay, you look at the the team. Look at look at Nebraska football over the last eight to ten years in the second half of the season. It's abysmal. Okay, and that's not a knock on anyone. I respect the heck out of those. Those are good coaches, but like we're not. We can't be the type of team that oh we lose. We were we lost to Colorado. We're embarrassed. We come back. We win. We play okay. Not very great against La Tech. Right. We then then we go out. We get embarrassed against Michigan. Now we're embarrassed. Now we can play great against Illinois. Just can't be that team. I'm not. I don't want to coach that team, and our players don't want to be a part of that team. So that's what it is. Wrapping up, wrapping up our number one here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We are live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri Cities, Twitter, YouTube, all the places where you can stream us. See our bright and shining faces here on the um here on the uh you know lovely video streams that we have uh you can also catch us anywhere that you listen until it goes out well yeah until <laughs> inevitably at uh somewhere between eight thirty and 9 o'clock though. you'll see the the rotating wheel yeah, the, the, on the screen the rotating wheel of doom much less much like you used to see on the old Xbox 360s mm-hmm. when they would the, the red, the red ring of death. Yeah, the red ring of death. <laughs> R.I.P. You know, pour one out for all those, all those lost Xbox 360s out there. Uh, no, the uh, interesting conversations so far today. But the uh, coach rule brought up some real interesting stuff in his press conference. He talked for a pretty long time, about a half hour yesterday. Yeah, a little over a half hour. And tons of good stuff in there. Uh, you know, it was that clip that Shane just played there hit on something that I'm not even sure I realized at the time, but it's a pretty stark difference in the way your role in relation to the team determines how you process and view a season, right? So he's talking about players Mm -hmm. need to think one way, fans need to think one way, and his coaching staff needs to think one way. And... I think what really put it into focus for me is because it sounded different the way he was talking about it, right? And so I was trying to figure out 
why does this sound so different? And I ended up going back to Coach Pellini, who had this kind of us versus the world mentality. And unfortunately, that included the fans by the end, right? It was a, hey, we're kind of insulated, like we're in the bunker. Everybody outside of this bunker is against us. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the major complaints about Pellini was he didn't necessarily embrace what the fan base could bring to the table and that the fan base is what part of is is what's part of is part of what made Nebraska special right because I mean let's be honest here there's no reason Nebraska should be good at football like there's no geographic advantages there's no population advantages Nebraska's good at football because or has been good at football and I think will be good at football again because basically the people of the state have willed it to happen and the university has agreed Invested to put its resources into yeah has program. agreed to put its resources into the program because of how much the people care about it and so the people of Nebraska are a huge advantage to this program maybe the only real advantage they have outside of the investment that the university puts into it and so it was always really frustrating, I know for me and for most Husker fans, the way that Pelini kind of insulated the team from the fans, kind of almost created a resentment between mm -hmm. the team and the fans, and that was really, really kind of sad and frustrating. But I didn't know what the answer was because I understood a lot of the things that Pelini was saying of like outside noise, things that we hear Coach Rule talk about, right? But the thing that he did that Pelini didn't was he articulated that it's okay for fans to think that way because they are fans. Their role in this is different than his team's role. And it's not the fan's job to get the team to think right. It's his job to get the team to think right. Fans are supposed to think that mm -hmm. way. Fans fan. He, talk, uh, he talked about it with his own family, right? It's like, hey, my daughters look at this team differently than I do for good reason. And they look at it differently than the fans do. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really interesting because – I don't know that I've ever heard a coach actually articulate it in that way and, and say, hey, it's not the fans' fault that they think a certain way. That's their job. It's my job to keep the players from thinking mm -hmm. that way. And I, I just was – To kind of state the obvious. Yeah, to state the obvious, but also put his finger on something that I'm not sure I would have been able to. Right? Like there, sometimes, there's, sometimes there's these things that they're, they're sort of in the air and, and you would think they're obvious, but until somebody s simply states it, you don't totally grasp what the thing is, right? You know it's there. Like, on the surface, it's really easy to say, like, yeah, fans and players should think about the season differently. And, you know, but it's a different thing to say, hey, it's not the fans' fault if the players are listening to outside noise too much. That's my fault. That's the players' fault. We need to be strong enough mentally to not let outside noise, which helps our program. That clarity makes, I think, that's the point you were trying to push yes. across. That makes yes. more sense. Differentiating between whose job it is to do what and owning that, I think was a big deal in what Matt Rule was mm -hmm. saying yesterday. I will say this, though, about Pelini, and, you know, I wasn't here for, you know, all the antics. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but I almost wonder if it was hard for him. And yet his personality made it hard just in general. Yes, yeah. Uh, but hard to deal with it because they were winning, mm -hmm. but he could never get over the hump. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was like he peaked at 9-3, and 10-4, whatever yep. it was. Like yep. that's like, but he could never get to that 11th win. He could never get the conference title. Right. He could never get to that and next I step. And I think yeah. because he was winning – 
and because of the way that fans were probably talking about the team, mm-hmm. like how can we get so close and always just stall? Yeah. How do how does the car just stall here? That started to eat him alive a little bit and then eat the team alive a little bit. So that's what the us against the world mentality stemmed from. Absolutely. That's just, you know, an outsider looking in. I don't know if that was like 100% a fact, but it, I think it's a it's a fair thing to think. Oh, I think it's I think you're I think you're dead on. I think it is a, it was a huge factor because I think the fans thought, "Hey, we are so close to taking that next step. Why mm-hmm. can't we do that?" And Polini is thinking, "Hey, I'm giving you 9 and 10 wins every year. Why isn't that good enough?" Right? Like that's that's a very solid football program. Why isn't that good enough? And there's lots of factors there. Like, they would get blown out by every good team they played by the end of his, his era there. They weren't staying close with any of the good teams. They were winning the games they should win, but they were getting blown mm-hmm. out by any good team, right? So that was something that rubbed people the wrong way. And it felt like they were a lot closer to six or seven wins by the end of it, even though they were still winning nine, nine games, right? It felt like they were a lot closer. Did it closer. feel more like an Iowa like yeah. in Iowa this year, yeah. like should they have six wins already? It felt like they were a lot closer to backsliding to being a six or seven win team than it was taking the step forward. Because okay. at the beginning of the Pelini era, like '09, you're thinking like the Texas Big 12 championship game, you've got Indomitian Sioux, best player in college football. I don't care what the Heisman said. Indomitian Sioux was the best player in college football. One of the best players in college football of the 21st century. Well, he went number one in the draft, right? Uh, he went three, I think. Ah, we're saying he went number one. <laughs> but he's incredible. He was, I mean, you want to talk about generational talent. Nobody's going to argue with me on Sue on generational talent there, right? So you had this team, and that team felt like it was way closer to winning 11, 12. He went two. He went two. Okay. So we were split, split the, the difference. difference. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, so that team felt, 2009 felt like, oh, man, they're really close to winning 11 or 12 games. And then it kind of started to, to slowly slide back, and it was still nine or ten wins every year, but it felt like we were further and further away from taking that next step. And I think that's where the frustration crept in. But again, if, if Pelini had been able to say, hey, I appreciate your passion. I want to take the next step too. I need my guys not to hear what you're saying, though. And that's my job. That's not on your mm-hmm. job to stop saying it. It's on, my, it's on me to make sure my message is louder in their heads than yours. Which is basically what Rule's saying. That's all Rule's saying. It's like, hey, what I tell my guys needs to be more important than what they're hearing from you. Not that I want you to stop saying it because I love you guys, right? He literally says that. I love Nebraska fans. But what I say to my locker room needs to be louder in their heads than what they're hearing from outside the locker room. Well, he hates Twitter. Matt Rule hates Twitter. I think every football coach hates Twitter. I've never <laughs> met a football coach that's like, yeah, Twitter. Except for maybe Lane Kiffin. Right. Lane. I think Rule, though, is at an advantage. Um, uh, sure. Because he came into a program that was broken. Yes. And it's easier to speak like a prophet in a yes. broken program. Absolutely. Than it is in one that's already won. Absolutely. So that – but what I really like about him is that he stays within himself. Sure. Like, he, he's really the no BS mentality. Um, you know, every answer that he kind of has is – you know, he just he speaks what what he thinks. Yeah. It's not like, hey, I was coached up by other people in the athletic department yeah. to talk like this. Right. No, yeah, this yeah. is how he's talked since he first got here. Not just so, since he got here, since he was. I mean, this is you go right. play clips from right. Temple and Baylor. He's the same guy. Right. But I love the way that 
you know, he kind of broke down everybody in, in its own sort of circle, right? You have the staff, you have the players, you have the fans, and he and he kind of talked about all three and how you can integrate into one. And everybody has a role to play. Right. Right? But everybody's role is it's completely different. different. Yeah, it's separate. Um, so, yeah, I really like that. And then I really like this answer to um, the PFF grades yeah. when, when he was asked about that because I, I felt like a little bit of vulnerability there. From yeah. Him. Like I could kind of like – because – I think the word he used was struggle. Like, I struggle with this. With the grades. And, yeah. like, and I'm like, wow, okay, so, like, this, this hits you. Yeah. Like, th- this, this one stings because he's like, in, in the NFL, it was even hard for me. Sure. Because that's all players think about is their grade. Their BFF grade. I mean, e- even in training camp, people walk up to him, hey, what's your Madden rating? Yeah. Like, can you believe you're a 72? Yeah. Like, you think you should be a 78 <laughs> or 70. Like, whether that, like, you know, internally – like hurts yeah. the player or not like though he he just is so real yeah he's so real with you and in the moment and the best thing he said yesterday out of everything is don't yell at the solution mm. like, yeah think about that rest with that let's there get, should be no one yelling at the solution let's get back to that and when we come up we're gonna when we come back we're gonna talk about that a little bit more and we're gonna get to our ama with me and andrew here it. on her Dad sports radio you're listening to her at sports radio I, you know, I, I struggle with, you can tell, I'm always going to defend my players and my coaches. I struggle with the fact that, like, these players are here to get Nebraska football over the hump because it hasn't been over the hump, and these coaches are here. Like, when I go in for my heart exam and my doctor tells me I have uh, uh, calcium, <laughs> I, don't yell at the, I don't yell at the heart doctor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't yell at the guy trying to fix the problem. So why would anyone say anything bad about the kids that are out there playing to try to get us back to a bowl game? Why would anyone say anything about the coaches that are trying? Like, that's crazy to me. So I see the impact it has on young people. It's, 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 it's devastating to them. It really is. Like, most of my job is about, hey, guys, ignore the noise. Ignore it. Ignore what people are saying about you. And that, you know, I'm having to do that a little bit in recruiting sometimes, too. Like, yeah, Coach, why we re- well, I don't know. Do the recruits need to hear everyone talk about that we're not good at this and not good at that? I don't know. So it's, it's the job. It's challenging. I, I relish this. I'm not complaining about it. You know, everybody has a job to do. Fans have. But I'm proud of our players. And they, I say this so that they hear it, their parents hear it. And a PFF score does not determine who they are. You know, um, Ethan Piper's out there playing with a broken hand. Right? He's pass protecting number four from Illinois, who's going to be a first-round draft pick with a broken hand. And we won the game. I'd hug the guy, not, not grade him. Kicking off hour number two here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. That's Andrew Rogers. We're on AM590 ESPN Omaha, also on ESPN Try cities as well. Really interesting stuff there from Coach Rule. The back half of that is super important to hear too. Yeah, the PFF grades there, and, and I'm just relishing at the um, like knowing what the job is. Yes, like he's not making an excuse. Right, he, 
And and the point that I made going into the break was, you know, he's not a fan of those yelling at the solution. And I like just that term, mm-hmm. like, because there, there is a ton of people out there. And he's like, I, you know, we're trying, we're building something. Like, you don't just, you don't build a house mm-hmm. in six weeks. Well, maybe you can, unless you're on ext- Extreme Home Makeover, you have like 300 people building Or have you seen those, house. like, 3D printed houses with the concrete? <laughs> yeah, right. Those get done in, like, then two maybe weeks. Maybe you can. But, like, he understands what comes with the territory. Yeah. This job and the territory it comes with is you will take on a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. It's like our jobs. Yeah. Everybody's job, really. But, you know, especially it, in like it, public it, facing it, jobs, yeah, and, more. It, media personalities, you have to you have to figure out how to combat it. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? When I got attacked on like Twitter for something I said on the show or, you know, th- there were people in, in Omaha that would go to hockey games and they would they would be keyboard warriors. Yeah. And I could, I could list off three right now. I'm not going to name blast them, but I could. Yeah. And there are the, they would always be like, oh, get this guy out of here, X, Y, and Z reason. And it, it's how, how do you block out the noise? How I blocked it out, I just put them on mute, right? Sure. I didn't need to see it. Yeah. I didn't want to see it. So I just muted those people because they, what they did is not going to affect my work. It's kind of what Coach Rule mm-hmm. is saying with all of this, right? Not only with social media and, and, and just, you know, things that you hear because every, every college athlete has one of these in front of their mm-hmm. face all the time. But it's also what they hear in public and, and, you know, public reaction and things like that is how you block out that noise. My way was muting it. Sure. That's why he says stay off of Twitter. Yeah. You know, let me coach my team and, and players don't fall into the cesspool the that traps. may be, yeah. you know, right in front of your Right in front of your and face. And also, I think, and, and for the most part, right, I, I think the vast majority of the fan base, even when they're critical, do it out of a place of caring, right? There are a handful of people that are toxic and hateful and all these things, right? And they obviously cross lines, and that's pretty easy to tell. But most of the time when people are critical, myself included, it's critical of on-field play, right? It's and the reason you're not critical of the person. No, you're critical of what's happening on the football field. They might be terrific people. I don't know. I don't know any of the players in a way that I would feel comfortable even discussing who they are as people. Just because I stop don't stop lying. You hang out with Heinrich Harburg <laughs> every day. Me and H squared are like this. Uh, no, but it, you know, it's one of those things where I, I actually prefer it that way because then I can just talk about the on-field stuff and not have like the thing that I hated the most was when I started finding things out about Scott Frost or hearing things about Scott Frost, things that had nothing to do with football, but were obviously, in my opinion... Because then you disliked him for the human Well, not just that. Versus the coach. But also, it, it, yeah, it tainted my view mm-hmm. of him, right? And so, sure. even if he had started to be successful, I would have had a really hard time rooting for him because of some of the things I had heard that were going on around this, uh, behind the scenes. And listen, there were rumors and innuendos and stuff that I couldn't report on because it was secondhand from a secondhand source or whatever, but they lined up with a lot of the things I was seeing, and that started to really bother me. And it did kind of tinge how I talked about him, and, and I think rightfully so because I don't think you could hear the things that everybody's heard now and think that he was going to be able to do a good job, right? That's not the case with any of the players. When I'm talking about a player, I'm only talking about what I see on the football field. And so I think the, the kind of the disconnect between what Coach Rule's saying and what a lot of fans see is he says don't get mad at the solution, right? I think what, pl- what fans see is, hey, maybe that player isn't the solution. Mm-hmm. Because we're looking at just the on-field performance. We're not looking at, hey, this guy's playing through an injury or this guy is an incredible locker room presence or this guy is building the culture we need. 
right now. You know, like there's this uh, – And that's a, real, that's a real thing. Fans just don't believe what you believe. Well, and it's not just that they don't believe. It's just they don't know, right? They're not in the locker room. They're not in the building where they can see – the but even, of, even if they have an injury or not healthy, they, they may sure. say fully healthy. I still don't believe what Which you believe. Which is fair. Right? Um, but they all, but it, it's impossible for them to see the culture, the, the leadership, the, the teammate, uh, stuff that happens off the field, right? And to, right now, I genuinely believe, not that Matt Rule's not trying to win games, but I genuinely believe that stuff is as important, if not more important, to Coach Rule as the on-field stuff. Like, he wants you to be competent on-field. He doesn't want you to make mistakes. He wants you to play football the right way and do what you're asked. But for the future of this program, he talks constantly about building slowly and building a foundation and things like that. All the other stuff to him right now in year one is just as important as the on-field stuff because that's the stuff that lasts. The leadership, the being a good teammate, the building the culture. That is the stuff that can transcend your time at a certain institution because you've left a legacy for younger players to take up that mantle, right? You could have Ethan Piper be an Mm All-American at his spot, right? That legacy doesn't filter down. If he's a really good player and he's a great leader and a great teammate and sets a great culture, that's what filters down to everybody else in the offensive line room, right? That's more important in year one for Matt Rule than having an All-American in Ethan Piper, if, if he ended up being that good, right? So that, to me, is where there's a little bit of a disconnect, where fans talk about things one way, and Coach Rule's going to talk about it in another way. That's why the grades don't mean much. Certainly right now, maybe not ever for him, but year one, those grades don't mean a whole hell of a lot to him. And that's okay. But they won't matter to him ever. No. And, and but I think his what, internal grades will matter more to him down the road. Well, yeah, because he, he uses PFF for more things than yes. just those grades. Yeah, right, like right, he, right. He even said, like, you know, the film and the way that they break things down by yes. play. He's like, I'm a stat nerd, too. I, I love that it's stuff. It's going to be super so there's, helpful. There's things that he likes. There's things that he dislikes. But, yes, um, the, the, it's you kind of have to – even out the scale, right? Mm-hmm. The scale is, yes, you want development. Yes, you want this foundation. And the other side of the scale is you want to win now. I remember having this conversation with JR, uh, my long-lost Uncle Johnny Rogers. Um, <laughs> and he was so dead set on win now because, of, like, you know, the transfer portal, anybody can come in mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just you, you can still win now. Why, why worry about development when you live in this new age of college football? But at the same time, I'm still on the foundational side of things where you still need not only do you need to establish something for these players to grow because, yes, they could leave at any point, but mm-hmm. you, the, the goal is to make them not. Make right? them not want to leave. Right? And, and he and, talked about that yesterday, right? too. The, the goal is to not, not, like, put pressure on them to – to strive for more, but like you know, the expectation is is to hey, you reach this level, you will play, you will do big things. Mm-hmm. But the foundation isn't just that. The foundation is getting back to a point of relevance. What how Nebraska football can be something again? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not always about hey, you win now because of the transfer portal, these guys, that guys, whatever. And it's not always just about the development aspect. It's just about pouring something mm-hmm. that is sustainable. Yeah. And, and getting back to a state of sustenance to now, okay, now you take that to the next level and to the next level. And if you aren't making that progress, then you look for a different solution. Um, and so that's why I still kind of lean to the left side of the scale versus like, hey, win now transfer portal. Yeah. Because you want the win now and the foundation, right? That, yeah. that's, if you could have the best of both worlds, that's, you that's what you want. But right? if you have to pick one. And sometimes you do. If I had to pick one, 
You pick foundation. If I had to pick one, I'd want to pick win now. <laughs> Let's all win. Uh, but I, I'm looking at a long-term result. Right. If you're looking at, hey, I, I want Nebraska to be good for the next decade. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to build something to where other people out there see that yes. you built something special. Because what if we – I mean, listen, I know the transfer portal. So it's like the Michigan blue plan. Blueprint. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the Michigan blueprint. And he said that, right? He's literally pointed to Michigan as the goal, right? But, I mean, look at the teams that – and we're going to get to our, our AMA here in just a minute. But look at the teams that have gone the transfer portal route in college football, right? Sometimes it leads into success. M- Michigan State is a, is a good example in year 200. Yeah, Keon Coleman. <laughs> that helps, yeah, right? But that was a huge transfer-heavy team, and they won that year, and then everybody left, and where have they been since then, mm-hmm. right? Well, a lot of times when you leave a team – it's not because you're really good and you're looking for a new start, right? Yeah, the, the type if of If you're really good, you're probably still on that team playing. Unless you're going like a, like a, a Cam Ward from, from Washington State that went from Incarnate Word where he was balling out and was, that was not a high enough level for him. Sam Hartman from Wake, Wake Forest, Forest to Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yes. I, look, there, there, there types, are players yes. that do that, but majority of the people in the portal are not fantastic football players. Like They're great players because they got to a college and they're playing the sport, but if they were fantastic, but not if they were fantastic, they yeah. would not have left that team. They would be on that team. They'd be a starter. They could be a starter on another team. Yeah. Like MJ Sherman is fantastic for the Huskers. He came over from Georgia, but he played a lot of special teams. Like yeah, he was, he, he was unable to take that next step versus the other guys in that room. So he made it uh, his ability here. Those people work in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. The Sam Hartmans work in the transfer portal. We look at Eric Gilbert, though, that had all the promise in the world with stars next to his name, and he left schools because he had problems. it was personal was problems. problems. Yeah. And, and like you get a lot of that in the portal, too. So yeah. the portal isn't just this, this great place full of sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows <laughs> where you just pluck one out and you know it's going to be yeah. perfect. It's to, not. You have to choose wisely. More times than not, it, it's not perfect. Yeah. Well, and there's this there, – it depends a ton on the reason a guy's in the portal because sometimes you have coaching changes and you're like, hey, I want to move on. My coach moved on. Totally understandable, right? Sometimes you have guys that – Or hey, you want to take that next step. Yeah, hey, I've outplayed the level that I'm currently at. I didn't have these offers coming out of high school. I want to challenge myself at a higher level. That totally makes sense. Those are guys that I would bet on. And then you've got guys that had a lot of promise that – Maybe they got buried on a depth chart or whatever, guys like MJ Sherman, who you're like, hey, I contributed, I was a good teammate, but I'd like a bigger opportunity. Mm-hmm. That makes a ton of sense. But there's a lot of guys in the portal that either have never learned how to persevere through adversity and learn how to fight for a spot and things like that because they've been the man the entire time they've ever played the game, right? Or you've got guys that got in a little bit of trouble. I'm not saying you should write all those guys off, but you have to be careful which guys you take out of the portal. Mm-hmm. Right, And I think Coach Rule's been, not just with the portal, but with recruits, too. You heard him talk about it yesterday. Hey, I want guys that really want to be here. I want guys, because we're going to ask a lot of them. It's like, we're going to love you a lot, but we're going to demand a lot as well. Those are You don't want guys that are wishy-washy about you if you're going to demand a lot of them. You need guys that are 100% in. And so I think you have to be really careful with the transfer portal if you're going to coach that way. And, I mean, we're seeing it and right. And that's why Coach Rule isn't. Yeah. That's, that's why he is dead set on development. Yeah, and, and is he going to take guys out of the portal? Absolutely, right? But he's going to be choosy about the guys he takes out of the portal. The last thing I'll say, too, is he, there's two guys in a scenario. One guy is handed a million dollars. The other guy had to work 10 years for a million dollars. Which guy would you rather have? Actually, I'll make it easier. One guy was handed a million dollars. One guy had to work two years 
to get to a million dollars. Which guy would you rather have? I'd rather have the worker. You'd rather have the guy that took all this life experience mm-hmm. at the same time to get to somewhere. Mm-hmm. But you had to develop to get to that point, yeah, right? Absolutely. You didn't just come out of high school with your sheer natural talent and hand the million dollars and you're going to be this outstanding player. Yes, and in some cases you are mm-hmm. because you're going to be the best of the best. But unless you work hard for something, I would rather have the second of the two. That's, why I, that's part of the reason I love a guy like Joe Burrow, right? Like, yeah, he transferred, mm-hmm. but he worked. He stayed there. He tried to win the job at he tried to win the job at Ohio State. He was stuck behind first round quarterback. He battled through adversity. He battled through it. He gave himself another opportunity. Battled through, was never really considered the guy, and ends up being in the position he's in now. That dude has worked for everything he's ever gotten. That's why I like a guy like Brock Purdy, who's a total afterthought, right? Was third string on the depth chart, has battled through everything he's gotten. That dude wasn't a four or five star coming out of high school. That dude, he went to Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Four star quarterbacks don't go to Iowa State. Right. Like, he had to work for everything he got. and Other than Hunter Deckers. <laughs> we'll just forget about him. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you want the worker because those are the guys that you can well, count on long term. It's just all about maturity. Yeah. Right? I would rather have an athlete in any sport yeah. that is super mature because they had to, they had to take the, the rocky highway yeah. to get to where they are rather than the one that flew in the fast lane on the new pavement. Absolutely. Um, let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's do it. Let's. Because uh, yeah, we can carry this over into yeah, thirty absolutely. as well. We're gonna do our our uh, AMA, and that's brought to you by Dingman's Collision Center. Dingman's has been in business in Omaha for over twenty five years, family owned and operated. They've got the latest technology to work on whatever make and model you've got, and that has led them to being first place best of Omaha for eighteen years running. Another factor in that, they always give back with every vehicle repaired. They give back to the community. Go check it out at dingmans.com. All right. Right there. Andrew and I have a little AMA for each other. We're gonna probably going to carry this into the next segment as well. But here we go. You want to go first or want me to go first? It doesn't matter. All right, I'll go first. This kind of nice little transition here goes into from what we were talking about with right, Matt Rule a little bit. He said in that press conference yesterday, he goes, Iowa and Wisconsin was a beautiful <laughs> football game to him. I personally disagree. What is your preferred version of football, i.e., what is your beautiful, what is beautiful football, football game football look game? like? The one that the Bears win. Uh, no, Unfortunately, one, no well, one's ever seen that. Uh, one that nobody gets hurt <laughs> in? Uh, no. That, Stylistically. Yeah, that's not a beautiful football game. No, not for me. Um, the, you know, e- even as somebody that – and I haven't coached as long as Coach Rule, um, but even that somebody that's coached baseball, mm-hmm. like a beautiful game to me – isn't a uh, isn't that right? Yeah. A pitching duel is a beautiful game in baseball, right? Yeah. right? But it's you're getting it on both sides. It, it's not really like like Wisconsin Iowa felt more about inept offenses than it did great yeah. defenses, and those defenses are good. Don't get me wrong, right? But the ineptitude of the offenses was very and, much and on baseball is just a different sport yeah. than, than football altogether. But a, a beautiful game to me is something that goes down to the wire. Yeah. It's not something that scores forty five points, and both teams aren't scoring forty five points for me. Yeah, a beautiful football game is you 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 don't turn the ball over, mm-hmm. right? You, you have, clean football. You have a very clean football game, and it, it probably ends somewhere around the. 31-24 mark. Sure. Right? Where, oh, you win by a touchdown. Or, you know, you win by a – let's do it because Andrew loves kickers. You win by a game-winning field goal. Like, that's <laughs> a beautiful football game to me. Um, it, it's not that because that that is a game you turn off. Yes, that was ugly. 
whether, whether you really, really enjoy um, like defensive football or not, that's a game you turn off because there's other games on TV that that are, are just more entertaining to watch Absolutely. at that moment. Yeah. And that's where the difference comes with a pitching duel. You watch a pitching duel because you're like, oh my gosh, nobody's scoring and these guys are just pumping and this is actually fun because yeah. you have two of the best pitchers and you know one guy may be throwing a no-hitter and like there, there's something like to reach for in a game like that. There's nothing to reach for in a game that ends 15-6. to six. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing. It's uh, not a beautiful football game. Uh, that is the only knock that I ha- have to say about Coach Rule, but he sees things a lot differently than I do. Oh, so sure. I'll let him call whatever is beautiful as long as the Huskers keep winning football games. Yeah, this is a beauty is in the eye of the beholder type situation, right? Uh, mine is probably it, – listen, it's not a perfect football game, but something kind of stylistically of, like, that Washington-Oregon game. Like, Oregon made yeah. mistakes for yeah. sure mm-hmm. um, in terms of some of their fourth down decisions, stuff like that. So it's not perfect, but yeah, pretty high-level execution on both sides. I felt like that game was decided mostly by – It's a very by, good football game. Yeah, Back and forth. Yeah. Back and forth Back is great and football. Forth, uh, you know, like – uh, Washington took a lead, like 29-18, I think. Oregon comes back, takes a lead. Washington ends up winning. There's a missed field goal at the end that would have sent it to overtime. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a really good football Well, game. and, like, uh, stylistically, passing isn't all it for me. No. Like, I want a little bit of a mix and run, and I want a little bit, bit of why mixing that, and passing. That's why that game was good, because Oregon was run right. heavy. Washington took some shots. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. Of, I thought that was I mean, But even Oregon, game. like, they, they would they would have their pass yeah, plays, they've too. they've got balance. Like, they, they run the yeah. ball extremely well, but they have really good balance yeah. on the offensive side. But if you're throwing the ball like you were in that Oklahoma State-Kansas game, like, that's not overly fun either, because all you're doing is scoring points. And then, again, you're, like re- seven you're, seven. you're way too high for me now. Yeah. Like, that's too many points for me in, in a beautiful football Football game, Iowa, Wisconsin's two low of points at a beautiful. I need some resistance. Game. I need something in between, yeah. and I need a little. Uh, I need a little um, like sh- wow factor, shock factor sure. at the yeah, end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a um, that was a really terrific football game, and and that's that's kind of right up my alley. Is that wa- Washington Oregon game? All right, my Look, question I agree. to you. I agree. That was a fantastic game. My question to you: Slay, stay, go away. Okay. Okay. The 2004 Red Sox World Series. Okay. The 1982 49ers Super Bowl win. Okay. And the 1995 Husker National Championship. Slay, stay, go away. This is another form of, what, bed, wed, behead? Yeah. Uh, and if, if we got even, like, deeper yeah. into the explicit category, What's, you know where uh, I'm trying to go. So slay is, like, my favorite one? Yes. Okay. So my favorite one is definitely 04 Red Sox. Okay. Um, stay is 95 Huskers, and I'll let go of the 82 49ers because I just wasn't alive and don't remember it. Oh, man. You should have gone 94 49ers. That all, right, one. all right, we'll change it. We'll go 94 49ers. Are you still, are you still kicking I'm them off the ledge? Still letting the 49ers go on that one. The but reason it, I brought a, up 82 was because, like, that was the football yes, game. Yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. was – that was the catch in the NFC Championship yep, game. Yeah, that's the Dwight Clark. That that one just doesn't mean as much to me because I wasn't there. I didn't mm-hmm. remember it. Like, the other two I have very specific memories of, so they're really special to me. Um, 82, I don't really have as many memories of. I love that 94 49ers team, but the 95 Huskers and the, and the 04. I mean, the 04 Red Sox is probably my favorite sports thing that's ever happened. So, like, that's... Not mine. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm not really, but <laughs> Listen, I remember I was you in, got one two years later. You're I was fine. in Florida. Oh, stop it! You're fine. Stop it! <laughs> I was in Florida watching that whole series just fall apart. Yeah, I remember. I was in a hotel room, and we weren't in like 
the nicest of hotel rooms. Sure. I, I, I remember the TV being, and this was 04, um, so there weren't like flat screens or anything, but I remember the box TV yep. close to the ground mm-hmm. watching Johnny Damon just whack one to right field, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I'm only – I'm only seven at the yeah. time, and like the fact that I have such a vivid memory of that moment is uh, pretty crazy. Well, so, that's yes. about the same age I was for the 95 Huskers. Was I was about seven, eight years old, and I have like vivid memories of not only the championship game, but that team throughout the season is like I've got it, – it's about that age, I feel like, six, seven, eight, where you have start having like really specific memories. Sure, sure. Uh, number two for me. Would you rather see – we've got a minute here. Would you rather see NFL players playing flag football in the Olympics <laughs> or MLB players playing baseball in the Olympics? NFL players playing flag football Absolutely. because we already have the World Baseball Classic yeah. where Major League Baseball players um, you know, thrive. I need Tyreek Hill on the go route in flag football. And Let's don't get go. me wrong, like, I, I still want to see college baseball players as our Olympic team. Yeah. Like, I think that would be awesome. And I think that would be fair for the rest of the league too. Yeah, for the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we get every college baseball player and, like, if you come – like, if you have, you know, Hispanic descent or the or Japanese, Japanese guy descent, that is coming over like to play whatever, college ball. He has to play for the U.S. team. Though. Okay. So, if you like, play college baseball in the U.S., that's you have your, to be – That's your allegiance. Yes. Or you don't play. Right. Okay. Because I don't want the World Baseball Classic to happen – with yeah. college baseball players, because college baseball players come from everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have foreign exchange students all the time in college. Absolutely. You're just coming here for opportunities. Yeah. Not just a Japanese baseball player, but from, like, the Dominican. Sure. And, and you know, wherever. So, um, yes, I love that you want to play for, like, you know, your ancestry. Yeah. But if you're playing in the Olympics and you're in college, you are definitely <laughs> playing for the U.S. team. <laughs> all right. We will continue this on the other side. More Hurt Sports Radio coming up next. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Big Ten West will be gone next year anyway, so um, I, I literally I, I was a young coach because you know I don't want you guys to think I'm always just like coach speak. I was a young coach, head coach at Temple, and I sat down at a table at the at the retreat with you know, all the American conference coaches were there. George O'Leary, who I looked a lot, really looked up to, was there, and UCF was rolling at the time, and he was going to become the AD. And I was like, Yeah, coach, we play. I forget what year it was. I was like, Man, we play. Penn State, but then we got Cincinnati, and he, and he was like, Maddie, Maddie. And he's like, just play them one at a time. And, and you hear that? But the teams I thought were going to be really good that year actually were pretty down. And the teams I thought were going to be down that year were really pretty good. And so um, I think we face good teams each week. <laughs> I think it's a battle each week. You know, I just think there's always the narrative out there. Like people watch the Iowa-Wisconsin game and say it's a bad football game or it's an ugly football game. I think it's a beautiful defensive football game. And um, you know, I see a lot of I see a lot of teams that scored a lot of points early in the season, in, in games this weekend, not quite scores quite as many points as the year gets on and people catch up and it gets a little colder. So, you know, I was on its way to having another great year, um, and people are making a big deal about how many points they score. They're scoring one more than their opponent most games. So, I think the big you know I don't know anything about the Big Ten West other than I'm pay- facing each one each each year, and after the year I'll probably have a better feel for you know kind of who everyone is, and then we'll shuffle it up and we'll be going to the West Coast, and <laughs> I'll do my best to figure that out. Still not beautiful, Maddie. Nope, still not great football. Welcome back. Heard at Sports Radio here on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities as well. I'm Robin Lula. That's Andrew Rogers. As we continue our Heard at Sports Radio AMA, we are brought to you by Warhorse Sports 
book. It is the best place in Nebraska to play for your sports bets. It's the only place. Kiosks, they've got your uh, sports book tellers. You can build your bets on the app. You got to go place them in person. Mm-hmm. You can build them on the app, scan a QR code, and just place your wager right there. Avoid Walls. the slot machines when you uh, <laughs> find your way there. Sometimes the slot machines will get you. They, they just suck you in. Shane got, knows from personal experience. They got a tractor beam. Uh, that's the Warhorse Sportsbook. No bets, no glory. All right. So I know you want to get back to your, uh, your Q&A here, but real quick, based on that clip that we had from Rule, is Big Ten West football beautiful? No. Uh, no, it's it's completely different, though, because like Big Ten West football has always been built like this, built on running the football and down somebody's throat, built on defense. And that's what Coach Rule wants to get back to. But it's, it, it's still not beautiful by any means. Well, it's, it's just it's, it's the identity of the Big Ten. And listen, I don't have a problem. Like, I think Michigan plays beautiful football. At Big Ten East. Yeah, but they're kind of a Big Ten West style. They just do it at a really high level. Like, Line play, defense, running, and then they sprinkle in a more dynamic quarterback than anybody in the Big Ten West has, right? That kind of elevates them okay. from being really okay. solid to being a national title contender. But it's really a Big Ten West style team just at the highest possible level. So it's not the style that I have a problem with. It's the fact that I was totally inept on offense, okay? Like, it, it's, that's not beautiful football. They are bad on offense, Wisconsin has really struggled at times on offense, especially after Tanner Mordecai went out, and it's not like he was lighting the world on fire this year either. Um, so I don't have a problem with the defensive running game. Like, mm. you know, I, that's what Nebraska was built on when they won their national titles, and I get it looked different because the option and things like that. But, so I don't have a problem with that style as long as you're executing it at a really high level. That's the difference to me right now is Iowa-Wisconsin, they're not executing that style at a high level. They're just executing yeah, it at slightly better level than their opponent right now. See, I don't know if I can even say that Michigan is what every other Big Ten West team could be if they were executing at a high level. Well, they have more talent. But for one, yes, for sure. But I don't know if I can sit back and and say that that's that's what I would see if Iowa was really good, if Wisconsin was really good, if Nebraska was really good. Because I think it's just – I think it's a little different. And, you know, it's wishful wishful thinking to want to be that. Sure. But I don't know if all Big Ten West football would look like Michigan – if they had the talent that Michigan has. Well, I, probably I don't, not because Harbaugh's a better coach than a lot of those guys. Sure. But, I mean, but it, it's all different like that. Yeah. And, but I just mean I, I'm trying, I, I just try, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that style, though, because, yes, that is the goal. Mm-hmm. The goal is to look like Michigan. I just don't know if, if teams would actually look like Michigan if they, if they had the talent that Michigan had. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to coaching at that point. I just mean purely stylistically, Michigan is the highest form that we have right now of the defense running the football uh, as your base for – and honestly, it's kind of what – I th- Oregon will do a great job Oregon, of that when they come next year. Oregon does a great job of it. Their their base is really running the football, line play, and defense. Now, Bucky um, Irving is – I mean, he's so versatile and won't be on that team next right. year. Yeah, so neither will Bo Nix. Right, and, 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 so you know, who knows what the carryover effect You're going to have some turnover there. But honestly, before Lane Kiffin went to Alabama, this is what Alabama was. They looked a lot more like Michigan than they do now, right? They looked way more defense first, line play first – functional quarterback play and running a ton of football. I mean, you're talking about your Mark Ingrams, your Derrick Henrys, those guys, and your TJ Yeldons, like those guys that were kind of these, those were the stars of the offense, not the quarterback. I mean, you had your 
uh, uh, well, what was the guy's name? McElroy, Greg McElroy, mm-hmm. guys like that kind of running the offense. Those guys weren't special quarterbacks. Those were your Cade McNamara versions of quarterback like Michigan had. So I think there is a way where that can be beautiful football, but it's really hard to attain. Like, it's not an easy goal. Yeah, beautiful football just at the end of the day is, is clean. Yeah, just well executed. It's, it's just clean. And if you, if you play really good defense, like Penn State right now, and mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk to Gross because, yeah. the, I mean, that, that's a beautiful football Absolutely. team. Absolutely. All around. They're yes. number one in total defense. Um, they, they air the ball out a l- very, very well. Aller is perfect on the season away from the turnover category mm-hmm. and you know they have a good running attack to it it's, it's not like a wow they they have a guy that's already ran for 800 yards yeah. but they have a good running attack yeah. but they just do a really good job of dominating op- opponents whether they're good or inferior mm-hmm. like they haven't played a ranked team yet and I get that but uh, we'll find out about them th- there, there is that let's get into this before you know we run out of time here because I keep uh, <laughs> I keep just rambling on I got a question for you because it's my turn right yep. to ask so Steve Smith called Jerry Judy a jag just another guy mm-hmm. over the weekend not a star yep any sport Ravi mm-hmm. who is a jag to you Ooh, so I assume we're going for kind of a hot take here, like somebody everybody else looks at as uh, as a high-profile guy. Um, I'm probably going to go NBA here. I really feel um, – I'm trying to think. There's a couple guys that come to mind. I'm going to go – I think I'm going to go Paul George. Okay. Because – like, yes, he puts up good numbers. Yes, he's a good athlete. Like, kind of like Jerry Judy. But on the teams that he's been the star of, they've never done anything. Like, they've never been special. I don't know that he's ever made it out of the second round of the playoffs as the best player on a team. Like, he's kind of just another dude to me. And um, pretty talented. Maybe could mm-hmm. be better than he is. But as far as how his career's gone, just another guy. All right. What about you? Oh, man. A jag. I wish you wouldn't have turned it around on me. I'm so excited <laughs> to ask you this question because it's, it's such a loaded question. It is. It really and, is. And, and you can really look at it, uh, you know, a ton of different ways. Um, I will go. Hmm. Because I, I think of fantasy football here because sure. I draft like a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, and. It's, it's not much of a hot take, but, I, you know, he was drafted in the first round. He was there to replace A.J. Brown. Like, Traylon Burks is a jag. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, like, he's a unanimous jag, though. He, yeah. He's not somebody that, like, is, is super not like a hot, hot take. take. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm going for overall hot take, oh, man, let me just climb down the league here, carry the two. <laughs> um, hmm. Catch a niner in there. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you can see the smoke coming out of Andrew's ears here. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just kind of I'm calculating like the AFC West, I was saying, I and then I'm going like to going the AFC through. South, yeah, and then I'm going to the AFC North. Um, mm. It's a tough one. You know, Najee Harris is a jag. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think that it, it's not overly hot. No, but it, but it's hot enough to be like. Huh? I think people after I, after he started um, with with Pittsburgh, um, and he had a huge year. I think he ran like three hundred times or something like that. Um, you know, he he was super super talented. And then where has he gone? 
Yeah. Well, because just, it hasn't been injuries. No. Uh, he's still on the football field. Yeah, just he just isn't running the ball very well. No. And so right now I just look at him as a jag, somebody that was highly touted and um, showed that in year one. But, you know, is it an offensive line problem? Is it a him problem? What is it? Yeah. Uh, I just kind of look at him right now as a jag. He's somebody that was – you fire him up in, in starting lineups. He's drafted and he, – he's in the 20s to 30s when you draft him in fantasy football, yeah. yet he doesn't play like a 20 to 30s player. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, I probably wouldn't have thought of him, but he uh, – yeah, he probably qualifies. I, I don't – I don't know how hot of a take that is, but it's a – I think it's a guy people think better of than his actual but it, production. But is Najee Harris, like, compatible with Jerry Judy? Probably. Like, yeah, probably in the same neighborhood as Jerry Judy. I would think he may have a leg up on Jerry Judy. Yeah, I, I mean, I forget Jerry Judy exists, so that uh-huh. – <laughs> until he until Steve Smith like said Like, Sky this. Moore is a jag. Oh, for sure. An absolute jag. Ugh, maybe not even that. <laughs> uh, coming up next, we're going to talk to Jaguar. Mike Gross. He covers Penn State. We're going to get into this week's big game against Ohio State here on Herd Out Sports Radio. You're listening to Herd At Sports Radio. Takes it. And straight on punt. Line drive. Hardy takes it his own 32, 35, 40. Hardy 45. Swings near side 50. 45, 40. Near side 30. Putter to beat it to 20. Goes by him at the 10, the 5. <laughs> touchdown. Penn State. Daquan Hardy. His second punt return for a touchdown this afternoon. Wrapping up hour number two, two here on Heard Out Sports Radio, ESPN, Tri-Cities, AM590, ESPN Omaha. I'm Robbie Lula. That's Andrew Rogers. And we are brought to you by Rockbrook Camera. They are not just trying to sell you a camera. They're trying to help you become the best photographer you can be, whatever that means for your life, whether you're trying to be a professional photographer or just capturing your memories and sharing them with friends and family. They'll support you after the sale with unlimited uh, things like classes and other things to get you acquainted with your new equipment. They've got the latest technology. You can check it all out at rockbrookcamera.com, 168th and West Center in Omaha or 70th and Pioneer in Lincoln. Joining us now to preview Uh, The biggest game in college football this week, Mike Gross of Lancaster Online. He covers Penn State football. They are facing off against Ohio State. Mike, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We are doing well. I guess what is the just general feeling about going into this week? Uh, You've got a top 10 matchup, supremacy maybe in the Big Ten East on the table what is the general vibe, especially coming off of kind of a weird midseason game against UMass? Mm-hmm. Now you're going from one end of the spectrum to the other. What's the feeling around uh, Pennsylvania right now? Well, that's, calling it weird, that's a very kind <laughs> way to say that. that was a, boy, that was an epic matchup, wasn't it? You know, uh, it's nice if you're UMass and you get $1.6 million to come get your head kicked in. But anyway, um, yeah, this is uh, – you know, people have been pointing for the, pointing to this this was specific day for a year now uh, in, in Penn State. I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think the fan base has ever been bigger and ever been more rabid, and the expectations are super high. Uh, I think this is uh, this is this stretch of games here from here to the finish line is seen as 
uh, a referendum on James Franklin. Uh, so it's uh, you hate to you hate to engage in hyperbole, but this is a really big game. This is this is huge for for Penn State, and it's huge for Ohio State too. Uh, Mike, I-, I wanted to ask you about that. You mentioned the referendum on James Franklin. Obviously, the only two losses last year were to Ohio State and Michigan. He's struggled in these games against the elite of the Big Ten East. Um, overall, he's been very successful at Penn State, but it does seem like there's a little bit of tension, maybe consternation between his his relationship with maybe fans and even people in the university with his inability to kind of get into that same category as Ohio State and Michigan. Is that an accurate read on the situation? Well, I, I don't know about within the university. I think right now with the current AD, Patrick Kraft, the current president, I, I think there there's pretty good alignment about what they're doing in football, and I think they're pretty behind uh, Franklin. As far as the fans, and uh, I mean, if they don't, if they lose on Saturday, you're going to be hearing it again. He can't win the big one, and, and uh, he's a good recruiter and he's a good uh, enthusiasm builder. But the, the the next step of being able to do it against the true elite, he's fallen short. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's a hundred percent fair, and I do think that he's closer now. Penn State's roster mm-hmm. overall uh, depth. I think he's closer now to the real mm. top shelf of the sport than he's been at any other time in his tenure. So, hey, it's it's kind of like I, I think this particular this two-year window with some of the second-year players they have who, who are going to be here next year, I think this two-year window is really critical to the way he's going to be remembered and uh, and critical to his tenure going forward. Mike, it's been six straight years without a win against Ohio State. Um, With where both teams are currently at this season and the injuries lingering on the Buckeyes' side, do you think that's an advantage for Penn State in this game? I think think that's a a small advantage, yeah. uh, And I would also say this. Penn State is unbelievably fresh. Their defense has been on the field for, uh, I saw snap counts the other day, I think they're second fewest in the country. And when you consider how many people they play on defense, they play 19 or 20 kids on defense, uh, they, they're, they're, it's hard to believe how healthy and fresh they appear to be at this point in the season. And that's got to be – I think maybe it's a disadvantage that they haven't been in a close game. The Penn State hasn't been in a close game, even going back to the middle of last season. Uh, which obviously is a function of the schedule, but you're you're asking you're asking Drew Aller and a lot of other people who have never really been in this spot before to perform to make big plays uh, if they're going to get it done on Saturday. Mike, they may not have been in a close game, but the big knock on Penn State this year is have they really played any team that's that's worthy. Uh, of where Penn State is in the rankings. Uh, so do you think about that at all when it comes to the conversation of, well, they haven't been in a close game, but have they actually played anyone this year? Well, yeah, I think, sure, that's part of it. Uh, uh, I do think that what they did to Iowa was pretty impressive because against, uh, you know, Iowa's defense, Iowa's offense is just brutal, as you guys know, but, but their defense is pretty good. And they were able 100%. to really control. They were re- really able to control that game uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, they impressed me there. Um, and 
But, you know, their schedule has not been great, let's be honest. It's going to get a lot tougher, but it hasn't been much to this point. We're talking with Mike Gross, Lancaster Online. He covers Penn State. Mike, uh, I'm curious about how the uh, reception of Drew Aller in his uh, first time starting for Penn State, how has that been, just the way he's played? Um, I guess how would you evaluate his play halfway through the season? Uh, I I think he's played well. I think people were expecting and hope. I know they were hoping to be just blown away by this guy. and He was going to be a Heisman candidate right away, and and, and uh, I, that hasn't happened. He's been very careful with the football. He does not have a turnover in his college career, mm-hmm. uh, including the 100 or so snaps that he played last year. Uh, he, week one, West Virginia said, okay, this rookie quarterback making his first start, let's see if he can throw the ball over our head. They dared him to do it, and he did it. And everybody since then has taken the opposite tack. You're not going to throw it over our heads. And he has taken a lot of, uh, you know, take the hot route, take the underneath route. Uh, uh, So he's been good, but they definitely want to push the ball down the field a little more than they have so far. And they're going to have to against Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, you're not going to do 15 play drives of four yards at a pop and beat those kind of teams. So uh, it's it's a big, big Saturday for Drew Aller, too. Mike, not that UMass is anything to brag about because, as we know, we already, we already talked about that a little bit coming in. But, you know, good teams show their dominance against inferior opponents, and that's nothing to sleep on. Defensively especially, seeing as the Nittany Lions are number one in total defense, what makes those 11 guys so special? They're really athletic. They're really fast. They have a lot of depth. It's more than 11 and they have a coordinator who's really well-suited to this group because he puts them in position to wreak havoc. I, I, I think, uh, uh, like last week, uh, 14 tackles for loss and seven sacks, and they've also been very good at limiting other teams on a per-play basis. It's not one of those gambling defenses that will give up a big play once in a while. At least so far, it hasn't been. And... Uh, the really intriguing matchup on Saturday, I think, is Ohio State's wide receivers, assuming they're healthy, maybe the best group in the country, against Penn State's cornerbacks, who are maybe the best group in the country. Really elite. Penn State is really elite at that position group. So those guys battling each other, I think, will be fun to watch, sort of game within the game kind of thing. Mike, obviously Drew Aller was kind of an unknown coming into the season, so but we've already talked about him, so let's take him off the table. Has there been a newcomer that you've been particularly surprised or impressed by in terms of how they performed halfway through the season? Uh, a guy that's a guy that's emerged uh, a little bit. He's not a newcomer; he's been there a while. Sure. But is uh, Daquan Hardy, who, who you just you played little, you played the. Uh, radio call of his uh, punt return on uh, he had two punt returns for a touchdown uh, one of them was the first time he ever returned a punt in college uh he's been their nickel corner for a couple of years and he he's been excellent in that role but uh and franklin said after the game we we uh, we kind of handed him the the punt returners job we're trying to create some more explosive plays uh and he's maybe a guy he's maybe a guy who could do that um and uh, other than that, newcomers, I mean, they have a lot of kids who are going to be good, 
who have showed up on special teams so far. Mm-hmm. Some true freshmen. There's a, there's a safety named uh, King Mack who's been very good. But as far as somebody that really out of the blue on right now, uh, killing it on offense or defense, not really. They they had a lot of they, they have enough experience, although they are fairly young. Uh, and again, uh, it's depth. It's depth on especially on defense. They don't have anybody with great like great tackling numbers or anything like that on defense because they just play so many guys and come at you in droves. Mike, ESPN predictions have Ohio State pulling out a close win at home by a spread of five points. If you were making a prediction on this game, all bias aside, what is the final score? Are you all bias aside? All bias aside. <laughs> Very well phrased. That was good. Um, no, I, I, I think I, I like I like Ohio State a little. I think I think Penn State is going to win one of these two games this year. And at the beginning of the year, I would have said this was the one because I think it's a more favorable matchup. Mm. But the way the season is playing out now, I don't know. I, I feel like I think the not having been in any close game, I, I really do think that's a that's a concern. Uh, uh, um, so it's an extremely tough call. I'm going to go Buckeyes by a hair, maybe by three or four. Mm. Mike Gross, Lancaster Online. We appreciate your time. We'll talk to you again Thanks, soon. Thanks, Mike. You got it, fellas. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Yeah, I watched the – well, I mean, I watched the 2021 game, and I watched last year's game um, a lot. I watched both those games a lot, right? Um I thought what uh, Coach Frost and the offensive staff did two years ago was phenomenal. But Martinez was amazing. I mean, a lot of great things happened. They played great defense. Um, obviously, last year was a hard-fought battle back and forth. But, you know, they have a new defensive coordinator, right? There's just not a lot of things that translate. So it's all, it's all kind of new. So um, those are more like off-season studies for me. You know, I get in the game week. I usually try to go back and watch personnel. You know, Coach Vokalek is there who was here. So obviously, he'll know our personnel. So... I try to go back and watch their players versus our guys a little bit. But for the most part, now I have, you know, I have six games on them versus really good competition, two top 25 teams that they've played. Uh, they're all just a lot like us. Kicking off hour number three here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. That's Andrew Rogers d- dancing for some reason. Uh, uh, just the shoulders. <laughs> Can't stop it. We're on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. And for this third hour, we are on KFOR in Lincoln as well. All of those places we are brought to you by Pratt Dental. Uh, they are here for the BioClear method. Dr. Pratt is the only Dentist in Nebraska that provides that service located in North Platte. The BioClear method and modern smile design can correct many aesthetic dilemmas in a permanent and less invasive manner than traditional treatments. Give Pratt Dental a call, 308-221-2800. We are efforting our friend Mike (laughs) Schaefer. Before we go to him, I changed my pick from a Jag. Okay. Remember, remember, we were on that topic of yeah. Jag, and, yeah, yeah. I, and I said Najee, and I'm like, eh, I don't feel like great about it. I got a way better one. Okay. Kyle Pitts. Oh, yeah. Kyle Pitts is the Jag. Super That's talented. Just a dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. You said Schaefer is here, Shane? Bring him in. That is correct. Mike J. Schaefer from Husker 24-7. Schaefer, what's going on, bud? Oh, not a, not a lot. How are we, uh, how are we doing? Is that, a, uh, is that a, a baseballism hat I'm seeing you rocking there? 
Oh yeah, big baseballism guy. I, you know, it's it's one of those things where like I uh, I used to attend their concerts in a garage before they got big, <laughs> sort of deal. I've, I don't know how or why. I think I discovered them on my first like spring training trip. I was down in Scottsdale, and they have like a store down there. Or I found them online. Like it was like a targeted ad before I even knew what those were. But I have quite a bit of baseballism stuff, and then I was super pumped when they started showing up at the CWS. Probably about. Four years ago, maybe. Yeah, so that's uh, where I, I first uh, got my stuff from. That's your Griffey yeah. hat, right? Yeah, so I've got a King Griffey yeah. Jr. hat like that, and then I've got the Sandlot dog hat, too, mm. uh, yep. from baseball. So was a beast. Yep. Yep, and then I've got yep. a couple of their Omaha T-shirts as well that uh, I really enjoy. So, yeah, big fan. They should uh, – hey, baseballism, sponsor the show. Let's go. <laughs> um, they might. Look, they're, they're good to work with. Hey, not, nothing crazy about that. Hey, I asked Ravi this earlier today, Shafe, and I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to change the question around. We were talking about when Steve Smith called Jerry Judy a jag, just another guy. And so I asked him who he felt was a jag, and then he asked me who I thought was a jag. Um, I ultimately landed about three seconds ago on Kyle Pitts. Um, you said an NBA Paul, Paul George. George. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you from a big – 10 perspective who's just a jag in the big 10 to you i mean this is probably gonna fly in the face of what jim harbaugh was just saying but it's jj mccarthy like i don't i don't get fired up about him i understand he can put up good efficiency numbers i and i just i don't believe it part of it to me is i'm viewing it as this is a guy they're talking about as a first round quarterback for next Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. and i would want nothing to do with that (laughs) like you know if you're if you're getting him in the third or the fourth round whatever you know at that point but investing that much draft capital in a guy who's never really asked to to do that much at michigan and part of it is just the way that it's set up there that he he gets to sort of be a really rich guys game manager like that's kind of how mm-hmm. i view them um so if we were if we were limiting it to the big 10 uh i'm trying to think if there's any other examples i have in in years past but a part of it part of it this year is that big 10 lacks star power i mean it, it really it's just kind of sort of a conference where you have some good teams you have some really good defensive players on michigan mm-hmm. uh ohio state feels like maybe the worst version of itself that it's been in a while, which is unfair because they've been a machine. But um, And then I'm really high on Drew Aller and Penn State, but I don't know if they're quite there yet. So there's to me, it's it's a weird, like, like Talia Tagovailoa is like among your biggest star names, and he's solid. Um, but it's, a, it's kind of a down year overall for the Big Ten in general, um, but also from top-end uh, – stud talent i guess it feels that way too or at least marketed that way yeah i mean you've got so so you've got marvin harrison jr and like braylon allen who are kind of bigger names but braylon allen could be in that jag category now too that, yeah i mean he's been not as uh i mean he was so hyped up yeah. coming in to wisconsin we just a call wisconsin just a program because that's what <laughs> i would have called them before the year too they're a jap well a better one for that yeah, yeah um the uh let's move on to nebraska here uh coach rule had some interesting thoughts um, particularly about sort of when we were talking about this earlier about the dynamics between like each sort of facet of the program. I'm going to include fans in here, right? You got fans have a job, players have a job, coaches have a job. 
I guess having seen multiple coaching staffs and sort of how different head coaches have dealt with the fan pressure and the outside noise and stuff like that, how did you process that his response to that question about um, about players staying focused on what's happening and blocking out the inside at the outside noise? I think a lot of what Matt Rule does, um, and uh, people are going to get really mad if I make a comparison here, and it's, it's not like a direct one-to-one, but you see other coaches do this, and I'm going to use P.J. Fleck as an example. <laughs> they sort of make themselves the target in a lot of ways. Like they make themselves sort of the thing that gets talked about um, as opposed to all of the conversation being on the players. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more at Minnesota than it is – at Nebraska, but I think what a lot of times it feels like Matt Rule some tries to do is to swallow some of the attention to allow his guys to not necessarily fly under the radar. That's hard to do here in Lincoln with as much coverage as we have for everything all the time. But to to pull some of that back because for as much media coverage as there is, it's you know, it's gotta be really hard to be a player and to just completely avoid it. But if he can either change the conversation or take up enough of the space that you sort of move off of the team individually. It allows them to kind of work um, again, not under the radar, but with a little less attention overall. Like I think, I think that's a strategy that he is trying to, to enact. So, because I feel like he feels very comfortable having just coached in the NFL that he can handle whatever criticism or whatever else is, is coming directed towards him. But if you can kind of protect the players a little bit of it, if you can keep them so they can work without having as much distraction, I think that's kind of the idea behind it. This is a it's like a half-baked theory that I'm just throwing out on air so, right now. Uh, so feel free to completely pick it apart. And then <laughs> pick it no, I'm curious because, you know, I, I brought this up to Andrew earlier. How do you think you balance that, it, what you just sort of talked about, as sort of making yourself – the focus of the attention and, and criticism and whatever without doing the Bo Pelini route of like vilifying the fans, right? Like that's, yeah. that gets kind of a fine line there, right? To say, Hey, don't listen to the outside noise, but the outside noise isn't, isn't poison. It's not, they're not bad people for making noise. Yeah. I, I, well, I think there's a lot of things Matt rule has going for him that Bo Pelini probably did not for starters. Matt rule seems like he genuinely wants to be a head football coach with all of the facets that go with it whereas Bo would much have preferred to just stand in front of a grease board up until when they played the game and then go play the game and then go back to the grease board so part of it is just their personalities another part of it is I I think Rule genuinely appreciates all of the fan support Nebraska has but as we've talked about many times over at this point he also likes to manage and kind of control everything so if he can also sort of manage how that support is enacted uh and and try to control that to whatever degree that he can he's going to try and if some of that is manipulating how fans react to stuff um i wouldn't put it past him to attempt to do that i know that sounds like it's really um i don't know what the phrase i want to use here machiavellian if people like know sinister almost yes yes sinister is a better word for it and I don't, I don't mean it in those intentions. I just mean that he, he likes to have his touch on everything in the mm. program. So the way the fan base reacts would be another thing that he would try to put his imprints on. It, it almost feels like he's trying to coach the fan base as well. Yeah. A little bit. See, little you, guys bit. Are, you guys are better with words than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's sort of like I was trying to get it to to manage like manage the not expectations because nobody can really do that, but sort of manage the ebb and flow of week to week. Because I think the other thing you have to remember if you're Matt Rule right now, like you have this fan base that's just desperate for anything, right? Mm-hmm. Nebraska beats Northwestern. It's going to get louder. In Nebraska beats Purdue, it's going to get louder. So part of it is getting on the front side of this and try to manage it a little bit and try to very much hammer home the week to week and we've got to take care of ourselves and we can't get too big and stuff like that um, because you also know what's on the other side of it. I mean – I myself am fascinated if Nebraska is able to get to six wins or seven wins. I don't know that we in the media are even prepared for what that next nine month period during the off season <laughs> and the buildup and the hype. I don't know the, what know, the three but, weeks until that bowl game would be like. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it literally might be the biggest bowl game ever played based on the, the buildup for it. So regardless of who it's against or if it's happening in Detroit at the quick lane bowl. So um, you know, I, part of it to me is just trying to get ahead of some of that. Sure. Um, I, I think that's just his personality. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think he just wants his touch on everything he can. Shafe, Sh- would we be in like, what was that after the Arizona Bowl game? Like, was that the restore the order year? Like, is that if Nebraska oh, no. gets to like <laughs> seven? Oh, no. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, that if Nebraska oh, yeah, gets yeah, to yeah. like seven wins, is that the kind of hype we're talking about? You think? I mean, if Nebraska were to like finish this thing out. And let's see, seven, would they go four and two down the stretch? One of those comes at the expense of Iowa or Wisconsin. You like, you maybe even get like a 10 to 14 point win in there. Nebraska fans are going to be feeling themselves a little bit. There's no question about it. Best seven win team in the country, baby. Let's go. I mean, they're just recently were the greatest three and nine team of I all know. time. Oh, so yeah. What are they going to do if they get to seven and five mm. is a real question to ask here. Grease the poles. Hey, I, uh, I, I want to. No, it's like the Philly reference here. Get your mind out no, of the gutter. I, 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 I exactly it was, it was my Minnesota Vikings that lost in 2017. That started You're it welcome. Was the city of Minneapolis, where they won the Super Bowl, where they basically were unprepared for the response. So I, I knew what you were going with. Well, earlier I said a different reference with an acronym, and you guys took that the wrong way. So we, wow. we, we got to be careful here now. Hey, you know, as, as we kind of talk about this team now, Shafe, we heard Coach say yesterday uh, that they were able to move guys around in order to create crop for other injuries that may pop up. And based on everything you heard, I'm curious, who do you think – and this offense or defense right now needs to get involved more. Okay. Um, well, I, like, it's not whether I think it. It, it has to happen. Like, guys like Jalen Lloyd and Malachi Coleman are going to have to play. Jaden Doss is going to have to play because of the, the absence of Marcus Washington. Here's one that I would like to see more of, despite his fumble on Friday against mm. Illinois. I thought Emmett Johnson gave Nebraska something on the inside running game that Anthony Grant was unable to do against Illinois. I've, I've hammered this a lot in the last, you know, two weeks. And so I'm hoping that maybe he has like a big game against Northwestern so I can move off of it. But I was really disappointed with Anthony Grant against Illinois. It has nothing to do with the fumble. I just thought he didn't run well in a, in a game where Nebraska should have been able to control that box, should have been able to control a little bit more in the running game. And I thought Emma Johnson outran him on some of those carries and looked better. And so I would like to see not necessarily a 50-50 split, but more touches for Emma Johnson, more opportunity there. I mean, he had a nice catch against Michigan where um, 
Heinrich Harburg was flushed out of the pocket and had to had to dump that thing off. I think it was Michigan. Could have been Louisiana Tech. Who knows? You know, you, you get far enough back. It all <laughs> together. But um, I, would, I would like to see more. I would like to see more Emmett Johnson. So when he was talking about different people, that was one that I had in my mind for sure. I, you know, defensively, does it even matter if it's someone unique that gets thrown out there? It's, it's all thriving right now. The, you know, they could they could put me out there in defense and still be okay for a <laughs> possession or two. So I, offensively, it's really kind of Emmett Johnson at this point. Shay, if I would have guessed you more as like a center, you got kind of a Jason Kelsey look going on there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's fine. My, my yeah, is he playing with a broken one. hand too? What would your PFF grade be? <laughs> I, can you get negative? I don't know. Like, I've seen enough Vikings interior offensive linemen that it seems like there should be some negative grades out there. I could, I could accomplish that. We're talking. Do a pat out <laughs> We're talking with Mike Shaver, Husker twenty four seven. Speaking of those PFF grades, I, I thought it was interesting because you know it, there's something that I look at sometimes. I, I don't think you can put a ton of stock in them because they are imperfect. But I think for certain positions like offensive line, it can be difficult for uh, fans that aren't either used to watching film or never coached the sport or didn't play that position to kind of evaluate offensive line play outside of, oh, is my quarterback getting sacked a lot or whatever, or is the running back having holes to open up? So, I mean, do you think there – I know Coach Rule kind of talked about the value in some of the other things PFF does, but, I mean, do you think there's any value in those grades, even just from a fan perspective? I think it's a catch-all, right? Like, and I have to I have to acknowledge this. I work for a company that puts out a set of numbers that people go – goo goo gaga over you know right like is there a ton of value in being the 33rd best player in the country or the 32nd best player in the country one you get a five star the other you get a four star so it's kind of a Mm -hmm. you know i i work in an incredibly subjective industry all of that to say i don't put a ton of stock in in pro football focus but what it does is it catches your eye it makes you think about the game in a slightly different way you acknowledge that these people are subjective and what they do then you can just use it as one set of data you know it could reinforce how you felt about things it could completely go against how you felt about things but it's just a set of data that someone just put together based off of the game you can use it as you want and so i i what i like about pro football focus is more the snap count more of that kind of stuff like mm-hmm. that's easy condensable information that i don't have to go figure out on my own so i appreciate that more um, but sometimes, I, you know, if you just view it as a snapshot of here's what the game sort of looked like based on this person's interpretation of how Nebraska played, you can get some information off of it. But I don't I don't know that, you know, even as someone who has spent enough time around football that I should have a better understanding of how things work. I don't know that I can sit here and tell you what a 42.9 means to me for an offensive lineman relative to Thomas Fedoni getting a 67.8. Or, you know, there's there's some games, like there was a game, might have been Northern Illinois, where I don't care what the pro football focus grade was. <laughs> Nash, Nash Hutmacher was 100. Okay? <laughs> he was 100 that day. And every Northern Illinois player would tell you as much. And they had him at like a 74. So, it, to me, it's just, it's just a snapshot. Like, we don't have to make mm-hmm. as much out of it as sometimes we do. Shafe, no, Northwestern is three and three, twelve point dogs this weekend. Purdue way is too high, right? Way, like, it, it seems too high. It is way too high. But I also don't know if they're basing that off of that Penn State game, where 
you know, they, they play a really good defense, and Northwestern got really aggressive in that game, and then it just kind of blew up in their face. So I don't know if that's kind of what Vegas is looking at. But, yeah, go into that. Why do you think it's so high? Well, I just – I look at it – I'm not at the point where I'm comfortable if Nebraska is a double-digit favorite if I'm a gambler. Like, I just don't know that they have the offense that can kind of run away. They might have a defense that can tamp things down, but I look at it like 17-7 to 7 could feel like a, a bit of a butt-kicking but it's still not going to cover that spread, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's one of those things where I could see Nebraska being in control of this game but not able to cover that number. I can also see this sort of being kind of like, uh, you know, grin and bear it for four quarters and hope to get out of there at 20 to 13 or 20 to 17 or, you know, whatever. I mean, I I am not at the point where I'm just completely comfortable saying Nebraska should beat Northwestern. Um, or any of these teams on their schedule. Now, I feel like they will, uh, but it doesn't – it's just not where I – it's that close to a two-touchdown favorite to me just feels a little high. And I, I think Northwestern's defense is going to come out and have some wrinkles for Heinrich Harbor. Like, this is a big week for him um, because they they had a bye. They had an opportunity to prepare. This is a, a relatively young quarterback going against a defensive head coach for the next two weeks. These are going to be some challenging games for different reasons, I think, for Nebraska – uh, so I, I hope fans aren't coming in with the expectation that they're going to see 2021 Nebraska-Northwestern. I don't think that's going to happen on Saturday. Shafe, what do you make of this Northwestern team who had the huge comeback against Minnesota, put up 20, uh, 37 points against a Minnesota team that Nebraska had a really hard time moving the ball against, although with a different quarterback and, to be fair, like almost entirely different skill position players at every spot at this point? Or you also have this as a Northwestern team that only beat Howard by three. Like, how do you reconcile some of the results you've seen from Northwestern this year for what you expect to see on Saturday? Yeah, I tend to think of that Minnesota game as a uh, aberration. I mean, most of that happened in the final 20 mm-hmm. minutes of game time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I don't really view that as, as indicative of what they are. But it also means that they could catch fire like that. I. I, I would think if Nebraska played Minnesota right now, they would have a better opportunity to beat them, even with all of their injuries and their limitations. Part of the difficulty of playing that game on a Thursday opening night is you just started your season. Like, they're just sort of getting into it. And so I think if they would have played them when Northwestern did, they'd have a better opportunity to have won that game. They still should have won the game when they played it in August. So I, I think Northwestern, again, has the opportunity to, to come in and make things t- Difficult for Heinrich Harburg. I struggle to see where their offense is going to put up a lot of points. Um, you know, I think the total in this is like 41 and a half, which seems kind of high. Like, I I kind of expect this game to stay in the teens, guys. I, I just don't think a lot of points are going to get put on the board. Shafe, Purdue is 2-5. and five. Michigan State is 2-4. and four. Maryland loses to Illinois. Iowa and Wisconsin look no better than any other team in the Big Ten West. Down the stretch, Nebraska wins one to two, three to four, or five to six games. You know, I had them at seven and five before the year. Also, I'll go with three to three to four. Um, you know, and in that seven and five was wins against Minnesota and Colorado and a loss to Illinois. So so far, my prognostication skills <laughs> are a lot. You're on it. Nailed it. Even a lot to, uh, to be desired, but I. I think this is a 7-5 and five team. I, I think they can get there. I think they can get there if Heiner Harburg is a quarterback and Anthony Grant is a running back and, you know, Billy Kemp and a whole bunch of question marks at wide receiver, all because this defense gives them an opportunity in every game that they play in. And I think the scary thing for some people, Nebraska's just going to get better. Like, just by the nature of what they have out there, Heiner Harburg should be getting better. 
Thomas Fedoni, who's only played six games in he's his looked entire a lot better. career, I think he's going to be someone that could be really interesting those final couple games against Wisconsin and Iowa. Maybe even could be the focal point of your red zone attack. So there's and that's defense too. Like they're going to get better. Like I, I think some of what excites me over the next six weeks is they have an opportunity to develop in real time in front of our eyes. And they've got a younger team than what you would realize with all of the injuries they've sustained so far. Shay, we've got about a minute here. Do you expect to I'll see... I'll be quick. <laughs> I don't believe you. Um, <laughs> do you expect to see uh, Jeff Sims as part of the offense, even if Heinrich Harburg continues as the starter and stays healthy? Do you expect to see a Jeff Sims package out there just to get a playmaker on the field? I would love to see it. At this point, I don't know if I expect to see it because I don't know if they want to invite that quite yet. Sure. I, I think you maybe let Heinrich Harburg continue to, to do what he's doing. Uh, and if you need Jeff Sims because Harburg's banged up, then you go to that route. But I would love to see it. I just don't know if there's the confidence yet that they can do that and not raise a bunch of questions. Mm. Mike J. Schaefer, Husker 24-7. You almost answered that too quick. We still got 30 seconds, Schaefer. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. <laughs> um, oh, Give me a few more. Uh, timing. timing has been an issue. It's all right. We uh, we appreciate it, Shafe. We'll talk to you again next week. He's just all another right. guy. That is always true. <laughs> that is always true. Just another guy. How dare you with his beautiful baseballism hat See there. See Shafe. We've got sports writer Jason Kelsey out here doing his uh, doing his best work for us. <laughs> now, we appreciate Shafe as always. Does that uh, mean you're, uh, you're dating Taylor Swift because you also have a beard? No, because I'm not his brothers. brother. Yeah, you are. Uh, not, <laughs> not technically. Not legally. Uh, coming up next, we got more Hurt at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. When it comes to like, just, just so you guys know me, because like, you're here once. Like, we were playing Illinois. And we, they, I was like, hey, they're not going to move the ball against us today. I don't, care if, I don't care if we run the ball every play and punt and like, that's just what you get when, you, when I'm coaching. You know, it's 25-mile-an-hour wins. Last thing that can be is a batted ball, right? Like, you know, we're going to play that way. So I want to score one more than the other team. That's, uh, that might be old school and kind of boring nowadays, but it, it, it'll, it'll result in good things in the long run. Matt Rule with the hot takes. I want to score more than the opponents. <laughs> That's a wild coaching strategy. I uh, we'll see how it hey, works. Hey, I bet you'd win more games than you'd lose. I we'll see how it works out for him, Cotton. Um, that's a dodgeball reference since. Uh, yes, I've I've seen dodgeball since Shane was. You can making dodge a wrench. His, you can dodge a ball. Since Shane was making his Globo Jim comment earlier. Um, Is there any other coach out there that goes like thirty minutes? I don't know. I don't watch a ton of other press conferences in their entirety. And I say that, I mean, that was just yesterday, but he also does that on a weekly basis almost. And he also, he he makes available uh, several players each week and all Mm -hmm. the assistant coaches. And he's always, and at the end of like almost every other press conference, he's always like, you guys know where I'm at. You know, my door's always open. I can answer any questions anytime. I mean, he's so transparent and he's just telling you everything that it is that he knows and that he that I mean it's I don't think there's a I haven't seen any other coach like that you definitely haven't seen any other coach like that 
as far as the football office goes down in down in Lincoln. Well, you know, other coaches I think do go that long on certain pressers, but rule doesn't go thirty minutes every time. Normally, it's about like that fourteen to eighteen yeah. minute mark, uh, which is still long. Don't get me wrong. I mean, after you get past nine or ten minutes, it's hard to stay for anybody to stay locked in. Yeah. But rule just does a really good job of you know, encapsulating what you want to see. Yeah, and I don't know because... Or here, for uh, that matter. I I don't know nationally how uncommon it is. I know it's like Shane said, I think it's really uncommon for what we've seen here. Um, This hasn't been the way other coaches have operated, basically... Um, for as long as I, I mean, can. could you have seen Bo going 30 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Mike Riley up there with the smile for 30 minutes. Honestly, Mike Riley's probably the one that was most likely to go 30 minutes just because he was he didn't mind talking to people, you know. Um, Frost certainly didn't want to talk that much. Pelini didn't want to talk that much. Mm-hmm. Callahan didn't think we were smart enough to be talked to for that long. Um, you know, like there's <laughs> – he was – Callahan was 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 famous for uh, that's pretty complicated guys I don't uh, I don't know if I want to get into that it's pretty complicated yeah, I don't know if you guys can that. understand that <laughs> you know offense is complicated um, I won't go into my Bill Callahan impression today no, but th- your entire team is complicated yeah it, it was complicated <laughs> um, wanted to get speaking of coaches though I kind of wanted to get into um, you know I was I was watching that Washington Oregon game that we talked about earlier Kalen DeBoer and oh my Dan goodness, Lanning what, thank you I was like what's his name former uh, Georgia assistant mm-hmm. Dan Lanning who's brought that kind of SEC style football to the Pac-12 and soon to be over to the Big Ten but it kind of got me thinking that um, about coaches we like it and a lot of the coaches that I'm really really high on haven't won a national title right there's I don't think I was trying to think of how many current coaches actually have a national title um, because like Ed Orgeron's not coaching right mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. you've got Saban, Sweeney, Smart. Is that it for active coaches that have a national title? Was who was was it was it Urban in uh, in 2015? With, yeah, that was at with Ohio State with okay. Zeke, and so he's out right now. I'm just trying to go back and and I'm looking for new teams each year. Yeah, I'm trying to find because um, you got so much overlap with those handful of uh, handful of teams there. But I'm trying to think. I don't know that we've got. We don't have a ton of. Did Chip Kelly win? Chip Kelly didn't get one. Um, I'm trying to go by year here if I can figure this out so oh Jimbo has one Jimbo Fisher has one oh at, yeah at Florida State um but there's I mean like Gene Chizik didn't get one or isn't still coaching um Urban's not coaching Orgeron's not coaching Mac Brown Mac Brown has one so you're only talking about five guys I think Mac Brown dude speaking of Mac Brown that's wild he is like seven wins or six wins away now from Saban on the all-time really? list. Yeah, That's it's something crazy. I saw that stat when I was uh, watching the Miami-UNC game over the weekend. Mac Brown, all-time wins record. And I, I, I'm just – honestly, I'm, I'm kind of just astounded by his uh, – honestly, his ability to still be good at, in terms of – like I, I thought it was a I thought when he came back after all that time off to go back to North Carolina, I didn't think there was a chance. Okay, it's seventeen. He's actually seventeen away. Still, that's incredible. Uh, yeah, pretty close. Um yes. I believe they're the only five coaches in college football right now that yeah, cause less, actively have less Miles doesn't ha isn't still coaching. And before that, we're going too far back. So th- there's only five coaches in what, hundred and thirty three or whatever the number mm-hmm. 
the number is of Division One coaches. So a lot of our favorite coaches have not won a national right. title, right? And currently you have Kirby Smart, Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, and oh, who's coaching at Florida State right now? Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell. Those are the, your top four right now. Yeah. So you have one guy in that mix that have won. That has a national title. A national title. And then you want to go to number five, Kalen DeBoer mm-hmm. in Washington, who was coaching NAI football not that long ago at Sioux Falls. You have uh, to appreciate what he's done. Now he's got national titles at Sioux Falls. <laughs> you know, uh, you've got a bunch. You got a bunch of guys that have. You know, uh, uh, like Kleiman ha- at Kansas State has titles at, at NDSU, which is closer, obviously, than NAI ball. But you know, I I was kind of going through, and it's like I would take a lot of the guys, and part of it's an age thing, right? It's a lot of the guys that are older, and part of it's I don't like Dabo Sweeney thing, and Jimbo I think is. I think he lost his fastball. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's – I just haven't been impressed with him at, at Texas A&M at all. But – so that leaves you, what, Saban and Kirby Smart, basically? Yeah. With guys of uh, uh, guys that have won national titles that you feel any kind of good about. And so, I, you know, Saban is 71, I think. So that's yeah. probably yeah. not a guy that you're like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, if you're hiring a – to start a program right now, like that's probably not a realistic option, mm-hmm. even if he was available, right? right? And so I'm, I'm, I was kind of thinking, like, okay, I, I really like Kalen DeBoer, been super impressed. Yeah, I would love to see Washington make a run at it. Run at absolutely. It this year. Don't really care for much Ryan Day to do it. No, um, I, I, and really, I, I wouldn't really care too much it, 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 for Michigan to do it either because they're they're Big Ten opponents. But yeah. if there was between those two teams, I'd rather I'd see Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh yeah. over Ryan Day. Well, and Harbaugh's wild too, right? Because he actually hasn't won anything anywhere ever. Like the only he he didn't win. I mean, obviously, he, he didn't even win a conference title at Stanford. I don't think he. Obviously didn't win the Super Bowl with the 49ers. Made one, didn't win one. I think he made three straight NFC Championship games, didn't win a Super Bowl, um, and hasn't won. It just has just recently won the Big Ten titles at Michigan, but hasn't been able to get over the hump right. to win a national title. For as big and famous and, and as much of a presence as he is in the sport, he's kind of over mm-hmm. in terms of titles. And that's kind of where I was kind of getting at with this point was just there's so many coaches we think so highly of and it, it's just such a drastic departure from the way we talk about, say, quarterbacks in the NFL, right? If you're a quarterback in the NFL and you're elite and you don't have a Super Bowl, you're nothing. Like, that's a huge strike on your record, right? Sure is. Or in college football, if you're a head coach and you don't have a national title, like, yeah, people get on Lincoln Riley a little bit for not being able to get over the hump, but he's still considered this genius, right? Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with Kalen DeBoer. I think Dan Lanning's a great football coach, right? Even Matt Rule, people are like, yeah, that's a home run hire for Nebraska. Brian Kelly is a fantastic football Incredible coach. football coach. Hasn't gotten a national title. Uh, Luke Fickle, great football coach, was considered a home run hire with Wisconsin. Hasn't gotten it. Well, and some of it's not their fault. I mean, most of those national titles are sitting over in one guy's closet, and that's it. You know, so I mean, if you divide it, yeah, you out, get your run through recruiting. Sure. Like, if you win a national championship, if you're that one-off team that wins, like, yes, you will find a and way. And those to those keep guys have to be relevant, that. right, for a good majority of time. Sure. Until you fall off, or until some more trophies go into somebody else's closet. But it takes that one trophy. If you can get that one, mm-hmm. you can probably get three. Yeah, you can, you get can multiples. probably get. Five. I mean, LSU's the the outlier here of just the one, right? And they had, they had like, the perfect storm. They had like thirty first round picks that yeah, next had, year. And they had the perfect storm with right. Burrow and oh, what was the offensive guy's name? 
they had the they had the off the pass game coordinator that ended up uh, I think it was Quinn it was I don't know it was something Brady it wasn't Quinn it was something Brady but anyway um, like they had this perfect storm of mm-hmm. talent and Joe Burrow and assistant coaches right at the right time but like Clemson won multiple Georgia's won multiple Bama's won multiple Florida State Florida won. State was a one off for that time mm-hmm. period right but they again had Jameis Winston they had but that they were kind always of, competitive there yes, too they were they made the playoff the next year. They had been really, really good mm-hmm. for a stretch there. It's man, it's really hard to break into that group though, right? And get that stranglehold out of the SEC, right? Like that's I would love it if if Kalen DeBoer mm-hmm. was that guy to do it. I, I would be thrilled. I'll tell you what, all said and done, I would rather have one-off teams than consecutive winning teams. Oh, absolutely. Just There's, just as a fan of college football, yes. give me a little bit of variety. There's nothing I want more than to see somebody crash that party this year. Uh, coming up, Louis Vacare, Wildcat Report, previewing Nebraska Northwestern. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Wrapping up the show here today on Herd at Sports Radio, AM 590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. We are joined now by Louis Vacare. He covers Northwestern for Wildcat Report. Louis, how are you this morning? I'm good, guys. How are you? Good. Uh, we're doing good. It feels like we've talked to you a bunch this year. As, uh, and Not I enough. Can't, can't imagine why. Has there anything been going on with Northwestern sports this year? <laughs> No, not at all. It's been pretty quiet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, it's, those... it's good to be talking about football. Right. <laughs> like what I talked about all summer. <laughs> For sure. And we'll, we will uh, keep it to football as much as possible here, Louis. Uh, obviously, it, it's been – I mean, the expectations for this Northwestern team were – especially after the coaching change, incredibly low. I think a lot of teams were talking about, or a lot of people were talking about, you know, maybe one or two wins for this team. I guess how, as you've watched this team progress throughout the season, how have they been able to end up at this point at 3-3, three and three, which I think most people would consider a huge victory for them at this point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think David Braun has done a sensational job under, you know, next to impossible circumstances, right? He's, he's replacing uh, the most beloved figure in Northwestern football history. And a lot of people were ticked off about it. And, um, you know, he doesn't, he's an interim coach. He doesn't know what his future looks like. He doesn't know what the, his staff's future looks like. And, you know, it, it was a very trying situation, and, you know, he's got them at 3-3. Three and three. They, they they took care of business. They won two games they were supposed to, really, against UTEP and Howard, though Howard, you know, they squeaked by. That was uh, They escaped with that one. Mm-hmm. And they, they pulled out a big win against Minnesota. They were down 31-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter and came back and won. So that was a big one there. And here they are at three and three at the, you know, coming off the bye week. It, it's going to get a little tougher now. Now as they're in the, you know, it's all big 10 teams from here on out. But uh, yeah, I think he's exceeded expectations. The players absolutely love him. He's an open, honest, earnest guy, very straightforward. Uh, and he's handled everything about as well as you can. So I think he has uh, exceeded expectations and his team has too. 
Louis, speaking of Braun, you know, I was listening back to that press conference after the Penn State loss, and it seemed almost like he expressed a little bit of remorse about some aggressive play calling, yet that's kind of his brand at the end of the day. Do you think his decision-making at all will change in a game like this where he plays another top defense uh, in the country, a top 25 in total defensive team in Nebraska? Or do you see what happened against Penn State evolving and maybe getting more aggressive with a little bit more confidence against the Huskers? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, me personally, I look at that. So the Penn State game, he had two fourth down calls where they went for it in the third quarter in a game. It was a one-score game, and they went for it on a fourth and one uh, in their own end. And that one I thought was defensible. I thought that was a that was a kind of aggressive play call. The second one was a fourth and four. You know, against that defense, they went with a, a fake punt and fell a yard short. Again, it was deep in their own end, and Penn State took it in, and then it was, you know, it was a three-score game, and it was over at that point. But, you know, it, certainly he didn't have anything to lose. I don't think it changes the outcome. I, mm-hmm. I don't think they were going to upset Penn State or anything like that. But it did end the game, um, and I think in a game like that, it's okay to be aggressive. This is one where, you know, now you're in the Big Ten West. You know, Northwestern is still. They're one and zero in the Big Ten West. They're still, you know, looking at the rest of the division. It's up for grabs. You know, Iowa has kind of separated themselves, but other than that, you know, I, I think even though Northwestern's a twelve and a half point underdog on Saturday, they feel like they have a shot. So I, I don't think that he's going to be overly aggressive, but uh, he's still going to take some shots when he can because you know they got to find a way to manufacture some points. Their offense has been struggling, and especially against a defense like that. When you get an opportunity, you got to take advantage of it for sure. Louie, I'm curious sort of big picture with David Braun. I guess how serious is his candidacy to become the permanent head coach? Is that something that's even sort of been talked about yet, or has it really just been trying to keep everybody's head above water and they haven't even kind of started having those discussions yet? Yeah, they haven't said anything about it. You know, Northwestern's administration isn't going to say anything, and, and Braun is just focused on the season. And, uh, you know, that guy, is, you talk about a guy drinking from a fire hose in terms of a learning code sure. this yeah. year. This is his first Power 5 uh, job. It's his first time uh, head coach at any level. So this is, you know, it, it's been a baptism by fire, and he's just trying to keep his head above water. I do think he's going to be – Certainly in the discussion at this point, I think he may get an interview or something like that. I, I don't know if we'll go with him. You know, there's still a lot of questions about him because it's not only taking over a Power Five program. It's you know you got they they're coming out. They got this hazing scandal looming overhead. You don't know if any staff is going to be back. They might clear house. They may bring back some. He could come back as a defensive coordinator. That could be. I think an ideal situation if that happens, you know, they, there's so much uncertainty around the program right now that, you know, it hasn't even been addressed. And I don't think anybody really knows. I think there will be a coaching search. I think he has proven that he should at least get an interview. He should be, you know, one of the first guys in line. Um, I don't know if he, he hasn't done enough right now to make a decision like that, but you know, by the end of the year, we'll, we'll see what his resume looks like. Now, Louie, um, speaking of uncertainty 
Ben Bryant status up in the air against Nebraska and uh, Coach Braun also addressing that yesterday and, and non-committed to, to really giving an answer for that. Is it going to be the Bryant show this weekend or do you think backup Brendan Sullivan will get the call? Yeah, I tell you, that, that, was, a, that was a bit of a surprise because I think uh, Braun kind of downplayed it a little bit when uh, he missed the last game. Uh, you know, he got hurt against Penn State and they said he would – they thought he would be okay, they, and everybody thought that they would they would give him a rest against Howard because they didn't really need him against the FCS team. Um, so it was surprising yesterday when he just said he's progressing. He didn't say if he if he was going to practice this week, and he's not sure about his status moving forward. So that was uh, that was a big blow right there for Northwestern because I tell you, Brendan Sullivan really struggled against Howard last week. He looked a little tentative and hesitant out there, and. Um, they, they, I think they're they're going to have some issues because I thought against Nebraska, especially with their run defense, their best Northwestern's best shot was going to be able to was throw the ball, you know. And and Ben Bryant is that guy. He's he's by far the best passer. So if they have to go with a, a Sullivan, I think we may see Ryan Holinsky. You know, he's still in the picture. I think he's the best passer left yeah. uh, out of the guys remaining. If Bryant can't go, I wonder if they might go that route. And, and try to throw the ball more because I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against the Huskers. Louie, as you look at the remaining schedule for Northwestern, uh, obviously not a ton of world beaters in that Big Ten West, even Iowa, who has, like you said, separated themselves a bit, doesn't look unbeatable, certainly, by any stretch of the imagination. I guess what would be a successful last half of the season for Northwestern? Yeah, if they can get a, a couple more wins, I think that would be great. You know, they're still they still have a shot at um, getting the six wins and, and making a bowl. I think that would be the best possible outcome if they could pull that off. And like I said, it's going to be tough. I think Saturday would become kind of a must win. Um, you know, you mentioned Iowa. You still feel like you could have a shot against Iowa just because they don't score either. Mm-hmm. You know, Northwestern <laughs> can't score, neither can they. If, if a cut, you get, you know, someone puts the ball on the ground a couple times, you might have a shot there. Um, but if they could get a couple more wins in the second half, if they can get to three and make a bowl game, I think, you know, David Braun could be your Big Ten coach of the year. And mm. at that point, maybe they do you know, hire them as as the permanent head coach moving forward. So, you know, they still feel like they have a lot to play for in the second half, and and they're certainly their number one goal is to make a bowl game, and we'll see if they, you know, they'll have to go three and three again. Like I said, I think it's a long shot, but they'll be in some of these games, I don't think. You know, and like I said, even though they're 12-and-a-half point favorites, or uh, underdogs on Saturday, I still think like they have a, sh- they feel like they have a shot against Nebraska. Louie, we spoke with one of our Nebraska insiders already today, and we all kind of agreed that the spread of 12 right now seems a bit high in favor of Nebraska. Both teams coming off the bye week, well-rested, hopefully a little bit more healthy. How do you envision this game going? Does it match what the spread is showing, or do you think it will end up much closer? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I, I think Bell, Ben Bryant is the big wild card here because if he can't go, boy, it's going to be awfully tough for Northwestern to get a win. I, I just think that they won't be able to run the ball. 
Um, and they can't, uh, their biggest problem is stopping the run defensively. Um, I think Nebraska, you look at Nebraska, though, they're still like minus seven in turnover margin, I think it is, on the season. They're, I just looked at it yesterday. I think they're 130th in the country in turnover margin. So there's your hope, right? So if, if Nebraska turns it over a couple times and keeps you in the game, if you hang around, Maybe they'll, uh, you know, give you the ball a couple times and you can sneak out with a win. But without Bryant there, boy, that, that, that's going to be a lot tougher. Um, and I think it could be a closer game with him in there. Without him, it's going to, like I said, it, yeah, I think that's, that's probably it's a couple score game, I think. And I think that's pretty accurate if Bryant can't go. Louis Vacare, Wildcat Report, covering Northwestern. Louis, we appreciate your time as always. Hopefully, we talk to you again soon. Strictly about football things, though. Thanks, Louis. That's right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Louis Vacare, Wildcat Report. We appreciate Louis' time as always. Always very giving to us as a. We appreciate uh, all our listeners' time for do. always giving their attention to us for three yeah, hours. Giving their time and attention to us, whether you're listening on YouTube, Twitter. ESPN, Tri-Cities, AM 590 ESPN Omaha, or KFOR in Lincoln. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See ya.